Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Supermodified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. I'm the host of the show, and uh, this is episode 128, and it could be called and will be called Classic Recap 2 um, because we're going to continue to unpack what was the 67th annual Budweiser Classic Weekend at the Oswego Speedway. Camden Proud is going to join us. So, you know, this is going to take a while, right? (laughs) Camden and I never do 10 minute interviews, Um, but we want we want to kind of sit back and take a little bit of a deeper dive into the weekend that was. Uh, And I want to obviously let Cam kind of give his impressions too. Um, spent a lot of time with Camden on Friday night during the Jody London portion of the show um the super stocks and the compacts and um i still think those were the two most exciting races of the weekend in my opinion um but uh cam and i will talk later in the show looking forward to that and i love it when i can do the open and i'm not 100 percent sure exactly what content we're gonna have it's kind of fun that way it's like starting off on an adventure and so i know we have camden um, if we can, uh, get one of the other interviews lined up, um, that I have calls in for, if some, if one of them gets back to me, we can do it before we put the show out. We'll do it. If not, it'll just be Camden. Um, and then we'll have what's in a number, which is the number 28. So, um, guess who's going to be the feature on that one. Um, <laughs> But it's a bit tricky. 28's a bit tricky. We'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. Now, normally in the opening segment, I have just a couple of things to say, and uh, it's kind of a monologue. Sometimes it's informative. Sometimes it's opinionated. This is just special. What I'm about to read to you is very special. It's also exclusive. And I really need to thank Jamie Moore for what I'm about to read. This needs a little background. So Classic Sunday. um, I guess it was probably after lunch. I was in the back pit where the little deuce was pitted. And uh, there were a number of people there. Bentley was there and his girlfriend, Lisa, and uh, Jamie, of course, was there. And um, gosh, who did we have? I think Doug Holmes was there. We had had um, had a bunch of, I won't say a bunch. There were a number of people that were milling around. And I was just admiring the car and talking to Bentley, Lisa a little bit, and Jamie. And Jamie had some sheets of paper that he pulled out of his pocket. And he handed it to me. And I looked at it and I couldn't really exactly figure out what I was looking at. And Jamie said, well, these are 
These are Doug's original notes. This is his handwritten account, Doug Holmes' handwritten account of the story behind the basically the genesis of the restoration of the deuce. And so I thought Jamie was handing it to me just to read, which would have been amazing enough. And he said, no, that's yours. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, if, if I can, if you're going to give this to me, I, I would love to read this on the show, on a show. And Jamie, Jamie said, well, that's what I was thinking. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to, I'm going to read to you the handwritten account. This is sort of a little mini memoir about from, this is from Doug Holmes. This is his account of how the whole restoration of the Little Deuce came to be. And this is an exclusive here on Inside Groove. And I can't wait to read it to you. So we'll be back with that right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove. Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to The Groove, episode 128. This is a special moment in the history of the Inside Groove show, podcast, radio show, my entire motorsports career, really. I do consider this to be a high water moment. It's one of those, it's one of those moments when you get to do something that, that just means so much to you that you never saw coming, you didn't ask for. Um, it just happened. And as I mentioned in, in the first segment, on Classic Sunday, of course, any of you who have paid attention know that the Little Deuce, the Howard Purdy Deuce, one of the most iconic supermodifieds ever, a car that sat on the trailer in the Purdy garage as it came off the track in its final race in 1974, 
for literally decades, almost 50 years, about 48 years, that car sat just as it was. And then in the span of about a year, it just was transformed really less than a year. It was transformed and rest restored and it looked pretty. See what I did there? So, um, sorry, I had to, I, I any of you who know me, you know, I'm going there. Okay. So <laughs> the, um, when I was standing by the car, um, Jamie Moore handed me some sheets of paper and, um, I thought I was just supposed to read him. I thought he was just giving it to me to read. And uh, instead, he was giving them to me. And um, I'm going to read them to you now. This is what I have is the handwritten account from Doug Holmes that tells about the genesis of the restoration and walks us through how it all took place and this is handwritten and so i'm going to do my best here um so bear with me because some of it is um some of the writing it it got a little bit wet somehow but uh we're going to do our best here so um this is from doug doug holmes says after doing Jamie's car, which was and is the uh, Champagne eight ball radical offset car that sits in the Northeast Hall of Fame in Weedsport right now. Doug says, I thought it would be great to own or restore the Purdy Deuce. I was trying to find out what happened to the Deuce. Jamie got me Chris Purdy's phone number. That would be Howard's son. I called and asked if the car was for sale. Chris said he and his son Dave were going to restore it. I said if they needed help with the engine, I would help. Months went by, and I called Chris again to see if he was making any progress. I think at this time, Bob Hodgden must have begun to put some sense of urgency into the restoration. Many folks wanted to see the car done this year. The next time I called Chris, he said that the deuce might be more than he and Dave could accomplish in a year's time. He said he was going to bring you the car. Chris brought the car to Doug November 26th of 2022. Doug says, I believe we had the car apart in three days. I got the frame sandblasted. I fixed a couple of bent frame pieces, new bumpers, engine mounts, took the frame and body panels to Steve Miller. Steve repaired and replaced the pieces. 
whichever they needed. Some were repaired, some were replaced. He made a new hood, parentheses, small block. It's the small block motor that's in the car. It's not a big block. The car started as a small block and then later had a big block in it. And a period correct tail. He painted and numbered the car. Every component was disassembled, cleaned, rebuilt, then painted or seracoded by Tartak. As for the trailer, Doug says, we got it two months ago. It was in bad shape. We took it apart, had it blasted, and took it to Lee Osborne. Lee offered to re, uh, repair the frame, parentheses, fractured welds, put a 5K axle with brakes, and got the trailer done in short order. We received the car in November 26th, or on November 26th, 2022. We push started the car on Saturday, August 26th of 2023. How amazing is that? 10 months, basically, start to finish. Now, I will say that I would surmise that the deuce, because it was primarily intact, would have been a much easier restoration because you basically had the car. So any parts that you needed, for example, to duplicate, create new, you know, any pieces that needed to be replaced, you kind of had the original piece there to go off of. That's a lot of times what takes these restorations so long with a race car, no matter what car it is. But the super modified seemed particularly um, wieldy in that sense, because of course, so many of them are 30, 40, 50 years old. And so a lot of the parts that if you want period correct parts, a lot of the parts that were on them back then, either you can hardly find any now or they don't even exist anymore and aren't being manufactured. So I would imagine that because the car was as intact as it was, in theory, that would shorten the duration necessarily of the regist- of the restoration. But um, what an amazing job. I looked at that car very closely on Sunday. Um, it is just beautiful. Such a great job. And to have that car, I mean, that car for, I know that was sort of the second, that was Deuce 2.0, but to have that that car it when it ran it was always fast right up to the last time Jim ran it I think Jimmy Winks he was the last driver and I think Jimmy won at least one or two races in 74 um didn't uh, I think he won a race he may not have now that I think about it because I think the car came out late a little bit later into the season but Jimmy just loved that car. 
And he loved it so much that he tried to actually, that's why he and I, um, gosh, what is it? Lenny Pirro? I think the gentleman's name was, uh, he was a tow truck, uh, driver at Oswego had a tow truck and Lenny and Jimmy bought the Austin brothers 71 because I think Jimmy was trying to sort of replicate the magic of the deuce because Howard, you know, didn't want to run the deuce, um, or, you know, didn't have time or whatever. So Jimmy had to do something. So I think that he thought or was hoping that, you know, he could turn the 71 into the deuce, which he did win, um, a number of, uh, heats and semis with it or preliminary races, but I don't think he ever won a feature. So how cool was it to be able to read that? Now there's, there's more here from, from Doug's letter. These are the thank yous. And again, please um, bear with me here because I'm reading handwriting and I, and some of the names are, are not necessarily familiar with uh, to me. So uh, if I mispronounce a name, um, I apologize in advance. So here are the acknowledgments. Thanks to Jim King for the oil pan, John Coloca for the Magneto, Steve Miller for assorted parts, bodywork and painting, Jamie Moore, Tim Ryan, and George Offenberg, who were the mechanics behind it. Lee Osborne for trailer frame repair, Aluminum dash, firewalls, small block motor mounts, and panels. Jason Reister for aluminum seat mounting stands. Um, let's see. Gary and Bob Sorrell for, um, I think it says video and steering wheel. Um, can't read. Custom, looks like. Um, Sean Donath for the radius rods, Mike Muldoon for the fuel cell, Connors racing for the seat, Tartak for uh coating of wheels and parts. Looks like Johnny Burke for tires. Mike Mahaney racing for rod ends, Harry Elkma for belts and gas pedal. Doug Caruso and Rick Nelson for the photos that they used to in the, in the restoration, Jimmy D for dyno testing the engine, Fred Kerr. I think this says enterprises, um, for, uh, turning and polishing the rear axle, Ted Johnston precision for the fuel filter. And Baya Performance and Fabrication for the headers. And Steve Payne and Barry Harrington for the stencils for the two on the car. And uh, the display board with photos, which um, I will um, I will put out with this show. When I post this show, I've got some photos of that and of the car. And we'll do a photo gallery. So when you, when you see this, this post... For uh, this particular show, when you open it up, make sure if you didn't already um, that you also pay attention to the photo gallery that's on the bottom of it. Um, man, it was just an incredible day. Thank you so much to Jamie Moore for that opportunity. I will treasure that forever. I'm going to um, put these sheets of paper in some sort of um, 
protective coating here and uh, protective uh, sheets or something um, to preserve them. That just was such an honor to be able to do that. And and what a story, you know, I mean, um, I could, I could just go on forever about how awesome it was to be back at the speedway and how, just how much I enjoyed the entire weekend. Really. It was great to see, uh, old friends, make some new ones, um, see some of the newer talent actually in person, you know, on the track and, and, you know, watching, um, I mean, not some of the young talent didn't have the greatest weekend. Um, certainly Josh Sokolik, Taylor Hawksby, um, you know, Robbie Worth. Some of those guys didn't have the best of weekends, but um, they are the the future, hopefully, anyway. They are the future of the Speedway with so many others. Um, but that overshadowing all of it for me, I think the, the absolute, you know, highlight for me um, was that was the little deuce just seeing that car. And I, and I, I was really young when that car stopped racing. I mean, I started in 73 and I know Jimmy won at least once or twice that year. And he may have, he may have uh, got a win in 74, but um, Jimmy um, didn't, he didn't, I mean, I didn't get to see the deuce race in person for that, for really all that long. And, and I, um, I was so young that I, I don't have a lot of like, sort of video snapshot memories in my head of, of it back then. I remember a lot of cars going around the track in those years, but that one, I just don't, but I've always known how incredible the car was. And the older I've gotten and the more stories I've heard about it and the more drivers I learned that actually drove it, the, the, the more, um, on a pedestal that I put it. And I, and I think, you know, if, if you've got, I was thinking about, you know, we talk about Mount Rushmore of, you know, race drivers and, and then you start getting into divisions, right? Mount Rushmore and NASCAR drivers, Mount Rushmore of Indy car drivers, Mount Rushmore of, you know, sprint car drivers, whatever, super modified drivers. If you had a Mount Rushmore of super modified cars, I mean, the little deuce is first, isn't it? I know that Nolan Swift won a lot of classics and he won some championships. I'm not sure if I would, if there's any of the 10 pins cars that I would put on that mountain. I think the first two that I'd have to put there are the deuce and Jimmy Champagne's radical offset. Now, I think when you look at who would be the third, or if you have four, who would be the third and fourth? Um, I mean, that's a tough one. I 
I think that's a that's a debatable question, isn't it? I mean, you know, you think about sure, you know, Nolan was the first driver to take the body off a of modified, and you know, but is does that car belong on Mount Rushmore? I don't know. I mean, Todd Gibson's Roadster won a lot of races, but I mean, I could say the same thing about Doug Havron's radical offset. The first one they got to a prod built, that car might've been the most successful super modified in history. It was around for, um, you know, for like five years. I mean, when Doug ran it in 80, 81, 82, 83, I mean, that, that car won, um, multi-championships, multiple classics won the isma title a couple times i mean but the you know i think that you i think it's got to be more than success you know i think if you're going to have a mount rushmore for cars for super modified cars i think you got to look at a combination of the success of it, but also I think you got to look at, you know, how, when, when people talk about super modifieds now, what cars do they always talk about? The champagne rear engine certainly could be a candidate, but it ran for a year and really it only won one race and it had that brilliant classic drive, but um, that car got, Oh, that car in Warren Conium got all other, got the whole shooting match of rear engines banned, right? So um, I, I would love to know I, my first two for, for the Mount Rushmore of Super Modifieds, the Little Deuce is a runaway number one, and then the Champagne Radical Offset would be two in my book. And if you say, well, yeah, but what about the deuce makes it Mount Rushmore? If you're saying, well, you know, it can't just be about how many races it won or whatever. Why? Well, because there was only one. I mean, I understand this is deuce 2.0, but there was only one little deuce. There were other uprights. None of them ever had the mystique and the just awe factor that this car had. And why is that? I don't really know. I mean, so many different drivers that it's, you, it has to be an overall story. Um, so there's one and two. I don't think, I don't think you can dispute because Jimmy's radical offset changed the entire super modified division. Now, I suppose you, if you, you know, if you want to say Clyde Booth's six car, the the, the first um, all arrow car that also changed what a super modified was, but um, I don't know that anybody really remembers that car with such 
reverence. So I I think one and two have to be the deuce and the champagne radical offset. I don't know. I think I I would love to know what you all think. If we said, okay, there's only, I'm going to make the Mount Rushmore of super modifieds four. That's it. So there's two slots left. You got the deuce, the radical offset card. There's two slots left. What cars fill those slots? A car that might have filled a slot had it ever been allowed to compete would have been that <laughs> goofy Ken Reese car with the three wheels on the right and one on the left. But, I mean, that because honestly, the legend of that car, if you think about it, how many times do people talk about that? One of the craziest things ever done. But there's barely any, there's some pictures around, but there's barely any proof of what it actually did on the track. So it's just interesting to think about if you did a Mount Rushmore for super modified cars. The deuce, the radical offset eight ball, what's three and four? Share in the comments. Let's talk about it. I want to hear some ideas. And tell me why. Don't just name the car. Tell me why you're, you, you're nominating that car from Mount Rushmore. Why? And because and, 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 if we're just going to talk about wins or success, boy, we're going to have a hard time because there's a lot of cars that have won a lot of races and been very successful. But I just, it has to be more than that. And this is the first time I think I've ever talked about any kind of poll or anything else that where I put something Jimmy Champagne did second. <laughs> but I just, the deuce is it. What else is there? I mean, what is more iconic than the deuce for a super modified? What is it? So, um, hope you enjoyed that. That it's It's fun to think about different things like that. And, and again, that was, thank you, Jamie Moore. That was, um, that was a real honor for me to be able to read that to you. And I hope, I hope y'all it's a fun story. I mean, I just love these restorations, right? I I'm so, um, it's so good because, um, and, and I love it across the racing spectrum, not just with supers, but, um, the, the stock car classics group down here in the Southeast that, that they've done such an amazing job with so many old cup cars from the past, um, going back to the thirties or sorry, the forties when NASCAR started all the way up through like, what is it? Gen Gen five, I think, um, they allow, but so many of the older ones, the old coupes and all that, just awesome. Um, and, their motto is keeping history on track. And I feel that's what I felt like when I saw Bentley in the deuce. I wish he had gotten more than four laps. If there, if there's anything I could say, if I had a black flag could throw a black flag on anything over the weekend, it was track management for only limiting him to four laps. I mean, does 10 laps really take that much longer 
You know, it was a beautiful sunny day. Come on, folks. You know, what entertains the fans more? A poll award or watching Bentley and the Little Deuce? No offense to the awards, but, you know, they're just a part of the day. I'm not saying that those who win them don't deserve their their applause and, and their proper just due, but, um, you know, come on. The difference between four laps and 10 or 15 laps is five minutes. <laughs> so... Sorry, I had to go slightly. It, you know, I look, I get it. You're trying to keep things rolling, and but I mean, goodness gracious, that was a once in a lifetime event, right? So that was fun. It was cool to see. Um, and Bentley just got a real kick out of it. Warren Conium got in the car. Uh, Rick Nelson took some shots, I'm sure many others did too. I wasn't back there when he got in it. Um, can't imagine what he was thinking or feeling and you know just funny at how small you know rick nelson made the point a bunch of us were talking um about it in the the grassy area (laughs) where the photographers hang out and were kind enough to let me um take up some space over the weekend um we're talking about it and you know rick said man it just it just looks small and it was that's why they call it the little deuce it was small and you know looking at bentley of course you know he's 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 got a little bit more heft to him than he used to right but um you know it uh didn't look like there was a lot of spare room there conium seemed to fit better but um man it must have been something driving those uprights around in that car i can't even just horsing that sawing on that wheel i i just bentley had to that had to be just an explosion of um time compression and while you're driving it around you're you know you're just in your mind it's 1969 again and bentley's winning the classic in the car So that was just, I mean, of all the, you know, as much as I've, I've shed tears over Kemp's enjoyment of, you know, the, the moment that he, he got, um, with the restoration of the, the Red Creek rocket car. And obviously so many others have been restored that to me, that time on Sunday, those four laps, that moment, if you got to witness that, you know, I mean, I'd love to think that maybe, you know, Bentley and even maybe Warren Conium might do it again next year. Don't know where the car, well, I do know where the car is going. It's going to the Northeast Hall of Fame, I think. I don't think it's the one in Weeds, I think it's the one in New England. I can't remember what it's called. Um, and I may be wrong. It might be in Weedsport. It may be going to that one. Um if Jamie Moore has his way, it probably will. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I, and it's right that it should, if that's where it's going, because, but I, I wondered if it would end up at Bentley's Bentley saloon. Um, but what a moment that was just to, to see that. And, you know, I still dream of a day when we can get all these restored cars at one classic. I know it's hard with everybody's schedules, but, 
How incredible would that be? And I know, you know, at some point, Jim Paternoster is going to finish the rear engine uh, champagne car. And um, I think we need to line up all the champagne cars just once. And I don't know if Keith would do it because Keith's really not, you know, I asked Keith if, you know, you had a chance to, to race the classic in a winning car, would you do it? No. He, you know, Keith is, Keith is, it's, it, there's, it's not a, a negative thing. It's just, he's, he's made up his mind that, that, um, his driving days are over. But I wonder if maybe the chance to get in one of uncle Jimmy's cars, if you had a bunch of them, um, he did get in the, uh, 67 version of it. The one that was that Jimmy won his first feature and he did get in that and take some laps. Um, and I asked him after that, when it was at the track a couple of years ago, I asked him, you know, what was that like? What did it, what, what, what did you take away from that? He said, those guys were drivers, <laughs> you know, hard to turn, no power steering. No, I mean, they were raw race cars back in those days. And you really had to drive them in the deuce. I think that to me is what makes the deuce so iconic. That was never a car that had all the advantages of handling. You drove the snot out of that car if you were going to win. And it took the right driver to be able to get that out of it. And, and it, was, it, it, it seems to me like it was kind of an unbridled horse. You know, and it took somebody like Bentley, you know, or Jimmy Winks, or, you know, I mean, Conium had great success, Ronnie Lux. Um, you know, there were so many but uh, that drove it. But, I mean, there's only a few that really, really um, don't know about how Andy Brown did with it. Um, I don't remember Animal Andy at all other than seeing him in programs. That was a little before I started going. Um but, um, and of course you had Ronnie Wallace, you had a bunch of people, but man, um, what a, what an opportunity we all saw. I know that, you know, I've, there's been a half hour here, but, um, you know, I, I just, I just can't impress upon everybody enough. That was a once in a lifetime, you know, Bentley's not getting younger. Right. So, um, I'm so thankful that he, got the opportunity to do that while he could, because that to me um, had to be as big a moment for Bentley to enjoy as for anybody else. With that, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Camden Proud's going to join us. I'm sure he'll have some things to say. I mean, Camden's young, wasn't around for any of, the deuces glory days um love to get his impression and we'll talk we're gonna unpack it all so uh we're gonna take a break and the, and uh grab yourself a beverage sit back relax camden proud gonna join us we're gonna unpack classic weekend 67 right after this Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. 
stop in for a nice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it. They've got it. Served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right. Players from across the world. Where else in Oswego can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. The Groff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroffs.com. Welcome back to the show. It is time for our feature interview. And of course, we've got Camden Proud back and it's great to have Camden with us. And this is where we get to uh, really sort of deep dive into the weekend and um, interested to get Cam's perspective on some things and um, just to really talk about the weekend that was at the 67th annual Budweiser International Classic, all the the racing and such that went on. Camden, we'll we'll start with uh, your own uh, classic race. You got into the race and looked like you were just kind of I got the impression you were just sort of uh, taking it easy, um, you know, trying to to pick off cars where it made sense to early in the race. And then all of a sudden you were out. What happened? Yeah, we didn't have a great handling car at the start and lost a few spots in the first 10 laps. But I was able to gain all those spots back. And we were running, I think, 13th or 14th with some really good cars and then picked up a major vibration. And that ended up being the left front tire coming apart on the inside is what we found out so we had mike so oh, man look at it and uh the vibration was unbelievable not like a rubber vibration but a vibration that just kept getting worse and worse to the point where i felt like something was really going to come apart and um i guess jeff abel had the same thing happen this season three times and oh wow uh, he ended up actually breaking suspension parts on his car the vibration was so significant so um, Hoosiers got some things to figure out and we're really not very impressed. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that makes sense. Um, well, it's a, it's a shame that you didn't, uh, didn't, weren't able to finish the race, but, um, you know, the, boy, the classic is just such a tough, uh, you know, a tough one. And, and, you know, it, it, I lost track counting My- Michael Muldoon pit stops after a while. Um, you know, he, I, I think that's the most pit stops I've ever seen from one car in the history of the classic in one race. And, um, I'm, I say that not to, you know, make fun of him or anything. It just, that's this race this year seemed like it just, it was a grind for a lot of people. And, and like with you, the tire issue and, you know, just different things. But it started off like we were going to be okay. And then all of a sudden they kind of started falling like flies. It felt a little more like a an old-time classic in a lot of ways um, in that respect. And um, it was just, but I thought it was a really, really interesting race all the way through. It was, yeah. There was a lot more pit stops than I thought there would be. Yeah. I think- strategy kind of came to play changing tires and pitting for setup changes guys were really aggressive about taking advantage of the pit stops and doing the best they could with the yellows we had a, a lot of yellow flag laps too, yes. so that probably that probably had a bit to do with it but 
um, yeah, it was interesting to see how strategy played in for some of those guys. Um, Michael was a guy I was following Muldoon for a while and, um, I could tell that his car was getting freer and freer and, uh, he took advantage of those yellow flags Sure did. did and ended up getting a good finish out of it. So, yeah, well, and considering, you know, he had started the week with that bone jarring crash, um, you know, it was, it was great to see him be able to, you know, like I said, I, I just thought it was, it was interesting. It was like, he just kept fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and never gave up, you know? And, and, uh, and like you said, he ended up, uh, ended up getting a nice finish out of it. And, um, it sort of paid the week's worth of work off in that sense. Um, you know, that it didn't go for naught. So, um, but I mean, gosh, man, Dave Danzer, you know, um, as a driver, you know, I, you, you sort of look and, and I think I made the analogy that it, it's sort of like the old wide world of sports shows where, you know, they would start off with the, the footage in the open and it was, you know, the, 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 uh, thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And I feel like we saw both of those things at the same time, basically within a, within that last lap, um, you know, for Michael and Sorrell racing, just gut wrenching. And yet for Dave Danzer and his team, just obviously excitement over the moon. Yes. And most people don't realize Craig Danzer's been owning race cars since what the mid to late 80s oh maybe. yeah yeah this way goes yep. so that's a really long time coming they've been leading this race before i think 2016 dave was out in front and spun out in the lead uh out in front going away and and he knows how to run the classic and just hasn't had a lot of luck in it so to see him kind of be on the receiving end of of some luck this time was great and always enjoy a first time winter celebration especially in the classic but just really happy for a great racing family that's given their life to Oswego Speedway and uh, very happy for Dave. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, especially in a year in which they lost, you know, Mike Murphy and Ron Charkey, it, that's, you know, exactly. it's one of those emotional moments, you know, bittersweet. You wish they were here to, you know, to celebrate with, but you're, you're, you know, you can dedicate the win to them. Um, and um, so, yeah, that just was, um, I mean, as a driver, it's, it's just gotta be, if you're Michael Barnes, I mean, what do you do, Cam? I mean, I look in and people were saying, well, you know, way more overflow than the other cars or whatever. And, you know, maybe he shouldn't have run so hard once he got out the lead. How do you, as a driver, it's not like you have spotters in a, in a crew chief with a key, with a computer that can see your fuel consumption, like in NASCAR. Um, how in the world is a driver? What do you, what do we, what would we expect Michael to do? I mean, I just don't, I don't think anybody did anything wrong there. And yet two years in a row, here they are. What, what do you make of this? Uh, that we need to put a fuel gauge in the cockpit with how many laps remaining on the car. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. It just, we were pitted right next to the Sorrells and obviously they were very emotional and I just kind of kept my head down and looked away. I just felt so bad for them because that's the classic. It happens and it's happened to plenty of teams and drivers more than once, but to have the exact same thing happen on the exact same lap two years in a row, is just brutal, and uh, they're a really good group. Michael's a great guy, one of the classiest guys in the pits, in I my agree. opinion. I think that that showed. 
with going over to congratulate his good friend and yes. he didn't come in and and throw a fit or yell or swear or do anything he just said ah, that's racing it happens and uh, just handled it as well as you could possibly handle it so I just have the utmost respect for Michael and the Sorrells and uh, feel really bad but man I don't know fuel mileage it's a tough thing that's classic I think if uh, we would have made it to the end and we didn't have so many caution laps that we probably would have run out too it's just you're trying to find ways to get as much fuel in the cars as you possibly can for this race it's um it's just yeah it's just hard because like i said it it you know it everybody i think always wants to rationalize something right so you know it's it's um well the overflow well you know like i said michael maybe should have not quite run as hard once he got the lead but um sometimes there's just no blame to be had sometimes like you said it's just the race you can't possibly know you know five less caution laps or three less caution laps even or whatever and maybe he you know or you know five i don't think five more but you know certainly there's a million ways that that could have worked out for him it just didn't so you know i it's just hard it was hard to watch honestly knowing that it was two years in a row and knowing that you know, he was leading and all of that, but, um, that's the way it goes. I mean, just a tough deal. Um, Allison slowed, um, to me, I believe sometimes, you know, we always, I mean, we give the winner the checkered flag. I always feel like sometimes there can be winners that didn't get the flag. And I think Allison drove a winning classic race on Sunday. And, and I just, it was great to watch her do that. I said, I think it may have been her finest performance, even though she's been to victory lane before. I would agree with you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, she drove a really, really smart race and, um, absolutely her best performance in the classic and maybe her best driving performance. Yeah. in her three years at a swiggle, um, she did a great job and put herself in position for not only the podium, but when Michael ran out there, the win at the end. And I, man, I don't know. I, I thought when Michael started to run out that maybe Allison was going to get down. Yeah. They came around to the traffic and, um, I'm 99% sure that's the best finish for a woman ever in the classic. It has to be. Oh yeah. Uh, but that was that was really exciting to see them have a good run with that car. I don't think she's necessarily had the year she wanted, and uh, I think the future's a little uncertain. I know Otto struggled with his car, so I was glad to see the team be rewarded with a nice run for Allison, and I know that's something that meant a lot to her, and she'd been really working hard on having a good, solid top-five run in that race, and uh, I think she got what she came for and then some, and uh, you can't ask for much more than being in position to win the classic with a lap or two to go. No, not at all. And, you know, I asked her after the classic, you know, what, uh, what about 2024 and, and her response to me was interesting. She said, well, I wasn't necessarily too sure, but a run like this certainly does make you think. And, um, so, you know, sometimes you just need that shot of confidence and right. that reassurance that, okay, we can do this. You know, we, um, it's not all going to be bad. And, um, you know, so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna have Allison on, on a future show. She, and, and we'll kind of give her a chance to, um, you know, to, to answer that question and, and talk more about her season and, but um, I agree with you. I thought there was a chance she might end up winning it in traffic. And, and uh, that was one of the things I enjoyed about the races. There was just enough 
there was enough traffic left out there down the stretch that, um, you know, you, you, you really had some doubt and, um, you know, that's always, it's hard when you've only got, you know, 10 or 12 on the track because you don't get that sort of having to navigate slower traffic as often. And, um, there was, there were enough cars left on the track at the end that, um, I think it, it made it much more dramatic. Although you as a driver probably would disagree with me. (laughs) No, I do. I think that the traffic helps and creates better racing. You don't always want to deal with it, but it does create better racing at the front of the pack. And, um, seeing those leaders navigate traffic always adds to the drama and excitement of the race. So, uh, I think it's a good thing, and the Classic also, you're running slower speeds. We didn't change anything, obviously, with the wings for the Classic, but you notice you're running slower speeds with the full fuel load, and there yeah. was a lot more passing in that race, and, and sometimes that's really nice, too, just for, for me to, to go and lose a few spots on the start, but to be able to pick those guys back off uh, through the first half of the race was a really good feeling for some little confidence because I haven't gotten to make a lot of passes this year nobody really has so uh it's it's that's what's nice about that race is you have a lot more cars and and again the slower speeds i definitely think it creates a better product of racing for the fans for sure so are you uh are you then saying you advocate full fuel loads classic style for every race next year so is that your fix for the passing (laughs) no but i definitely advocate for (laughs) some of this downforce away from the cars. so uh, and I think we're going to do that, and we're going to have a much better situation next year. Good. Well, that's encouraging to hear. Um, but let's uh, stay on classic. What are some of your other takeaways um, from from this race? Because I just feel like there were so many stories, um, both good and bad, unfortunately, but that's always the case. Well, I like to look at the Santos team a bit there. They finally got their car running properly it's been a couple years where they fought engine woes and just and it's hard to do when you you, they have like five other cars and you're focusing on the super only for the classic which is really difficult and they came prepared they're fast and testing they're fast friday and bobby drove a great race obviously knows how to run the classic and and then picks up another top five so it was great to see the one finish all 200 laps very competitively uh, running right there with Schulich and, and Allison at the end. That, yeah. was, that was really good to see. So I'm happy for Jeff West and the guys to get a classic top five under their belts with that car. Jeff told me afterward that um, they ran into a problem with the steering with about 70 to go. I think he said about lap 130. And I don't know quite how to, like, he told me what it, what had happened to it. I don't remember exactly what the detailed explanation was, but it, 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 I I think if I remember correctly, I think it, whatever happened created a lot of slop in the steering, um, where you had to turn it a lot more to get it to. And he said, I don't know how he even finished the race. So he, he thought they had a car to win if that wouldn't have happened. He said, you know, I think we had, you know, I think we had something for him. So, you know, Jeff sort of uh, smiled at me. He goes, you know, I, I, I told you that if we won, I wasn't going to do this again. And I said, well, you didn't win. He goes, now I got to do it again. So there's your first entrant for the 2024 classic. Uh, I I'm calling the shot here. Um, Weston Santos will be back because they want, they want to win. Um, but um, yeah, just that was a great run. And, and you're right. I mean, Bobby is one of the best race car drivers in America right now, I think. And, you know, uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, if you look at it, 
he should be racing in NASCAR right now, but I'm kind of glad he's not because, you know, we need short track drivers of his caliber because they're the ones that make all the short track stuff so exciting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's really nice to have a driver his caliber so versatile and running modified silver crowns, yep. front tires, supers. It's He's all over the place and really hard guy to keep up with, honestly. So um, it goes to show you, too, that he's not focused just on one discipline. And um, I think it would be a shame at the same time if we did see him go NASCAR because you'd miss him in all these other divisions. So um, it's, you know, it doesn't matter what car, what team Bobby Santos shows up with. He's going to compete for the win at the end of the night. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, I mean, selfishly, I'm happy he never made it because, uh, I mean, you know, and I don't mean that in a a bad way toward him just saying that, you know, I, you see all these drivers. I mean, there's so many, even on dirt, you see these sprint car prodigies come up and they, they come through the, you know, the 600s and into the, the 350 or the 305s and then the 360s and the 410s and they're running with the outlaws. And the next thing you know, they're taking a right hand turn and coming over here and running NASCAR. It's like, Man, we need, you know, we need some of them to stay because we need to build legends in those divisions. And it gets harder all the time because everybody wants to go, you know, make the big money, which obviously I get. But um, so always, uh, always glad for a Santos that sticks around the short tracks and really makes things exciting. So, yeah, that was definitely a um, a great run. Uh, what else stood out to you? Well, third with the hand cast for Schulich was pretty good. I know it wasn't for sure. um, I think to even be there for DJ was like a win to those guys after everything he'd gone through uh, health wise with his finger and to go out and get the custom carbon fiber cast from, I forget his name now, but the IndyCar doctor. Yeah. 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 And to make the 12 hour drive, you know, from Indy straight to a swiggo, that's, that's a lot in one week and a lot of back and forth and kind of stressing about if the car would be running and if it was, who was driving it. And, um, I think that's a good solid performance for those guys. Um, another podium, uh, Jack Patrick had a really good run. He did. Yes. Sure. did. Uh, so ran a really good race and, um, and it wasn't just attrition. It was nice to see him make some passes and, uh, be competitive and uh, was turning some of the faster laps towards the end of the race. So um, I know he's been displeased and struggled a few times this year, but I hope that the classic run is a really nice boost of confidence for him as it should be. And uh, good to see him get a great finish. Uh, same thing for Mike Bruce. That was a good solid yes. day. Yep. Nice finish. Uh, Logan Ravel is also a top 10. Those guys have been through a lot uh, lately and, just lost his grandfather this past week. So, oh, I didn't know that. Um, been thinking about them. I know he's probably driving for him and um, very determined to get a good finish. And um, I know that he told me he didn't necessarily have the day that he wanted as far as the car's performance, but I think that they were very content with the top 10. Um, and then the other guy I'd shout out, I guess, would be the 61 of, of Ordway Jr. He started way in the back. Um, nineteenth or twentieth and okay. was able to find sixth place by the end of the day. So uh for your first classic that's not a bad showing at all. No, not at all. No, that's um I mean and you know it's hard because I'm sure that he would have wanted to run better, obviously. And you know, I thought I mean, 
you know, he went out for, for qualifying and I was expecting a, you know, top five or six run. And I, I think, um, you know, mid pack or whatever is he ended up starting and it was just like, wow, really? Um, you know, and so I'm not sure that was the day they were looking for, but, um, I'm sure they learned a lot to be able to hopefully do it again next year and be even stronger. I hope so. And I know they planned on Mr. Super this year originally. And for whatever reason that didn't happen, but I would like to see them kind of dabble with the Swiggo stuff a little more next year, maybe do the big three races, Champagne, Mr. Super and classic. And uh, I just know that Mike jr. Really, really loves the Swiggo. And uh, I think he'd run here weekly if it were up to him. So, so, uh, you know, hopefully see more of them next year and that they're content with kind of, like you said, turning a subpar qualifying effort into a pretty darn good first run at the classic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So, um, let's, let's go through the finish and then we'll talk about, uh, some folks that, that, you know, we, that had a little bit of bad luck, uh, but, uh, go ahead and read through the, uh, official classic finish for us. Sure. Danzer picked up his first classic win. Second was Allison Slode. Third, Dave Schulich. Fourth, Bobby Santos. Fifth, Michael Barnes. Sixth, Mike Ordway Jr. Seventh, Jack Patrick. Eighth, Mike Bruce. Ninth, Logan Ray Bowles. Tenth, Michael Muldoon. Eleventh, Tim Snyder. Twelfth, Brandon Bellinger. Thirteenth, Jeff Abelt. Fourteenth, Mo Lilge. Fifteenth, Ben Seitz. Sixteenth, Mike McVetta. Seventeenth, Ryan Locke. Eighteenth, Danny Connors. Nineteenth was myself. 20th, Otto Sitterly, 21st, Eric Iosu, 22nd, Joe Gozik, 23rd, Lulave Jr., 24th, Ryan Zitska, 25th, Tyler Thompson, 26th, Lulave Sr., 27th, Jerry Kern, 28th, Joey Payne, 29th, Mark Samet, 30th, Brian Osetic, and 31st was Russ Wood. Okay, so... Um... There are a few folks out of that uh, that group there that we can talk about that necessarily didn't have um, the best of results, but it was great to um, to see them there and being a part of it. First of all, um, seeing and again, uh, it's not the first time that it's been back to the track, but it's the first time I was at the track and it's been back to the track since uh, Terry Strong um left us and went to heaven um to see that plum crazy 99 there with joey Payne driving it that poor team struggled all of sunday to get that car um you know friday and sunday to get that car uh right and um hate seeing that he was an early exit but oh man was that awesome to see him in that car um for that race with that team very special and a bit unexpected. I was pretty surprised when I saw that. And I guess it was Pat's last race and uh, kind of added to the drama that they needed to get in Sunday morning through yeah. qualifying. And I think Joey gave the old girl everything she had for those four laps and yep. uh, ended up cranking a few 16 sevens off and, and had enough to get in the field. But um, I still think that he would have got a decent solid finish out of it, maybe top 15. Sure. Uh, and ended up having, I think, overheating problems okay uh some something brought them pit side mechanical like that but um you know i really wanted to see him have a good finish but i know that it meant a lot to joey and especially pat strawn and the whole crew and family just to have the car there and joey back in it and we all saw the text that that was terry's last wish to joey so it doesn't get much more special than that yeah well that's um 
man, uh, it was great to see that and hate that, um, you know, that that was uh, the end of the line for Pat and and, uh, and that team. If that's the case, uh, you always want to, you know, see a better, you know, better result. Um, and but I know that Terry was looking down smiling and that's that's the most important thing. And um yeah, so uh, moving on, Ryan Zitska, and of course, you know, you've got two brothers there, Kenyon and Ryan, and um, there's a team that, again, has really had some obstacles right up into, you know, Classic Weekend and was was able to start the race, and Ryan got to drive the car, and again, not the finish that they would have wanted, but, you know, that's a that's a team that everybody should be encouraging to, to, to keep going. Um, and I'm sure they will, but, um, boy, oh boy, um, just to, you know, you've got one that lives in Charleston. The other one I think is in Denmark. I thought, uh, Kenyon told me, I can't remember where Ryan is or Germany somewhere. Um, but, um, you know, that's a very, very interesting story right there. And those are, those are some really dedicated folks that are really at a, at a, you know, basically a late age trying to, you know, to learn how to, to be competitive in the super modifieds and they're doing it in a, in a rather, you know, unconventional fashion. They are. Yeah. And Ryan's my Scandinavian neighbor. He's only a 40 minute flight from where I live in Norway. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. He's in Copenhagen. So we're going to meet up sometime okay. in, in, in Europe, uh, this, this winter, but, nice. Uh, great group um they kind of overcame a lot to even have the car there this past week they found some i think cracked rod ends in the car um also some brake caliper problems and they ended up overnighting parts actually to my house because they didn't really have anywhere else to send it (laughs) uh couldn't quite get here in time for friday but you know they show up sunday and just squeak in in the final spot and Still didn't have a lot of luck. Uh, we're just kind of hanging out there for a bit. And I think Ryan said the throttle was hanging open. So, Ooh. Uh, yep, don't want to mess with that. It's always no. time to pull when that happens. And um, But I think that overall, um, Kenyon got to drive the car a bit more um, out at Lorraine and had some solid finishes there. And then Ryan has never even drove the car at all other than for, I think, Oh, about 10 laps of a feature earlier this year at Oswego until there was a big wreck in front of him. So to show up on the biggest weekend of the year and be relatively competitive on Sunday, uh, that's a win for those guys. But I think they would tell you it was a win to even be there after everything. Absolutely. Yep. And that's, again, those are the stories you want to call out because those are the ones that work the hardest just to get to start the race and, you know, be a part of it all. And so, you know, wanted to, to throw some props to, um, to them for what they did. Unfortunately, not so much, um, good luck for McKnight Morton again. Um, in a year when I just, after, you know, losing his dad, I wanted to see Dave go out there and run, um, a really, really good race. It just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, I just really wanted to see him have a good run for the same reason, and um, I just don't understand. I mean, those guys have been around a long time. It's not like they don't know what they're doing, and I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in any division lose so many motors. I know it's it. Just, it's just brutal. Uh, just you, you can't believe it, but 
then again, it's just, it's, it's happened so many times now. It's just like, Oh, here we go again. And, and it's just, I don't know what the cause is. Um, but I really feel terrible for Gary and Dave. I agree. Um, and you know, again, if your name was Dave and it wasn't Danzer as the last name, um, you know, you, you didn't have either one or you didn't have good luck at all. It seems like for the Daves over the weekend and, and Dave Duggan is the other one that my gosh, I mean, that thank God for foam blocks. I know we've said it a million times, but, um, that was a hard hit and, um, you know, the car was, was terribly damaged as it was i can't even imagine what would have happened uh without the foam but again a shame to see that for somebody that made the effort to to get that car together and get out for classic and you know trying to make the race and then have that happen Ugh. um you know yeah. thankfully he was okay yeah that's obviously a very highly capable classic car and i uh, was super excited to see dave come out and give it a shot and uh, didn't have the qualifying effort that he wanted. And then again, just, I don't know what happened there. I, I heard it, but I haven't seen it yet. So, um, hate to see him have to tow the car back to new England. You yeah. Know, I'll tone it up. And, um, hopefully it doesn't stop him from coming back and trying again next year. Yeah. I hope not. I mean, it, it, it looked bad, um, you know, on at both ends of the car, but, um, he's got the whole winner, so hopefully, you know, you can get it put back together and, you know, maybe come out and run some more early in the season to get it dialed in or whatever. But he, you know, he told me he went into turn three and turned the wheel. It just went straight. So something obviously broke, um, you know, in the car and, and um, just, you know, launched straight into the foam. So that was a, that was a really tough, uh, tough weekend for him. And, uh, but, you know, overall, uh, of course, uh, we haven't talked about Otto. Um, I mean, probably his most miserable classic race ever, I would have to think. Um, you know, it was just frustration almost from the drop of the green, it feels like. Um, but, um, you know, don't know what his future is. Um, you know, was told that uh, they're probably going to sell one of those cars. Um, and... They obviously bought uh, John McKennedy's car. So um, we have two cars that in theory are kind of top wing cars that they now own and don't know what the plans are for that. Um, I was told he bought it to run NESS with, but I, I, I don't, you know, that's, uh, I would think they'd want to do more than that, but who knows? Um, but um, again, not sure what the future will be for Otto. Yeah, I talked to Johnny quite a bit and Nicotra, and it just sounds like next year they're going to do more of the same. Um, okay. Hit or miss, not running for points really anymore, um, but he's just ended up in these ISMA points battles the last few years. Yeah. And, um, there's not a ton of ISMA races, and this year a lot of them are really close, so why not? Sure. Um, you got to make the toe to Berlin. I think he wants to do Sandusky anyway, and then – you know, it's auto. You end up in the thick of the point battle, and you're going to go and race and try to win the championship. And which he did. Um, yep, yep. And and this weekend there again, we'll we'll see if he can wrap up another one. Uh, but it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Which of those two wing cars they they go with, and uh, 
honestly, just at Evans Mills this week, they tested them both. So I'll be curious to see oh, which one he releases. Okay, so they did test both of them. I'm because I I almost want to see him jump in the McKennedy car just to see what he can do with it. You know, just something different. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, they have them. They have them both. And and John McKennedy was there helping them out. So I was actually hoping they'd put John in one and Otto. Oh. Uh, okay. The other. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen. Probably not. But John was there helping out and. Um, I think they had a good test. The McKennedy car ran a 12-3, and the Bodner car ran a 12-2, so that's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, so Otto must have been pretty comfortable in it right away. So um, I'd imagine he'll run some more NESS, and obviously we're going to do the challenge next year again, so the Oswego wing shows and probably the, the non-wing shows, and um, I'm guessing more of the same. Um, maybe Allison will be willing to – come back and talk Johnny out of selling so. second car too. Yeah, I hope so. Cause I, I mean, I just, um, I think Allison, I think there's, there's, I don't think she's, you know, peaked as a driver. I think there's a lot more for her to do. And a lot of, and that classic run, I think showed that she can be as tough as anybody when the car's right and the situation's right. She's as good as anybody. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I think it would be great to see her come back next year and, um, and, and try to build off that momentum. Um, don't know whether she'll, it doesn't sound like she's going to run this weekend at Evans Mills, but, um, uh, unless you know something about that, but, uh, certainly would be nice to see her come back next year and, and do the Oswego schedule again, at least. Yeah, that'd be great. She's great for the speedway and the fans yes. and, um, really good family uh, all the way around so uh, no she's not running at evans mills but okay um i just really hope that they change their minds and even if they do hold on to to want a swiggle car i don't sure. i don't think otto's too into that right now running here uh, maybe <laughs> that'll change uh as the rules change but um to have her back would be fantastic yes absolutely and of course the sort of elephant in the room um which uh you know we heard from him already uh post classic and we'll have more with him uh on one of our future shows here um joe gozik as the only driver who is as old as the race uh 67 years old and i know this was not the classic weekend he wanted um and you know really you know, he he genuinely seems up in the air right now about his future plans. Um, and nobody would blame him if he decided to hang it up. But, man, uh, gosh, it it just wouldn't feel like a Swigo, and especially the classic, without Joe Gozik because he's been doing it since 1980. Right. That's actually funny you mentioned that about he's 67 and so is the classic yeah i never, I never caught on to that i've been so focused on you know the 44th classic and missing that yeah. and wow huh, that's funny yep that's what i and i told him that's how i started i said you, you're you know the only driver who's as old as the race um and um it's i bet he loved that oh he laughed you know i mean that i mean i was joe and i i was pick on him, <laughs> pick on him anyway but it's just fun to you know, it, it's fun. He's always a good interview. And the thing with Joe that I think is really cool is that he himself has not lost his competitive fire. He is not. Um, he wants to win every race he runs just as badly as he did in 1980 or 1990 or whatever. And um, but it gets 
harder when you, you know, you've got kids, you've got other things in your life. You, it's more expensive. It's a different knowledge base, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, I, I'm sure he's got a lot that he's kind of weighing out. He doesn't want to come back and not be competitive. And I think this year was really difficult for him because he just didn't feel like, you know, for the most part, I mean, they had one or two good finishes, but for the most part, he was not the Joe Gozik that I know he would have wanted to be. Yep. I agree with that. I don't think it was the most competitive of seasons for him. Um, actually the best run I think was the night. Yeah. The night I won, he finished yeah. third. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know. I think there's a lot of circumstances. I definitely don't think it's anything anywhere close to Joe's losing it or he's washed up or can't do it anymore. No. Um, I think it just struggled with the car a little bit and yep. um, struggled with tires and setup, and also, uh, devoting time in the shop because he's a really busy guy with work and, yep. and his girls and uh, still very devoted father too. So uh, it's really hard to manage all that. Um, but the latest I've heard is that maybe it was the last full-time year, but not the last we've seen of Joe okay. or that car. Okay. Um, so it sounds like he'll be racing, but just maybe not, every single week, but I haven't heard at all that that was his last classic or last race or anything like that at all. Interesting. Okay. So, um, that's encouraging. We've gone from 50, 50 to maybe we're, you know, slightly over 50, 50 shot that we see Joe come back and run some and whether he runs full time or not, sounds like maybe a different matter, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard because you, I know as a driver, it's a drug, you know, it's an adrenaline fueled drug and it's hard to give it up. Um, and, but there's a time obviously when it becomes the right thing to do. And as you say, and I agree, I think Joe can still be a winner, still be competitive. He's still got that, you know, desire to do that. Um, but maybe the part-time schedule would be, you know, for him at this point would be the right thing. And, uh, you know, I'll take uh, I'll take any of of uh, Joe Gozik's appearances that he wants to give us at this point because um, you know I just want to see him feel like he can go out on his own terms. I guess that's right. the biggest thing. And and of course, you know, um, you, it's it, like I said, it can be hard to just give it up. But I think he did say he was going to try the sportsman car again too because I asked him about that and uh, still has a desire to, to go play with that. And I, I just think that's cool at his age that he's still enjoying racing enough to go do it on dirt and go, you know, whatever, and, and have fun with it. Yeah, it is really cool. And he's going to play with the sportsman, uh, like you said, a little bit. And uh, I think do Super Dirt Week. And then he's running at Evans Mills Saturday with the top wing. Oh, good. Okay. I wasn't sure. I thought that uh, he was going to do that. Wasn't positive. Great to to hear that. Um, again, I think that's the advantage of Isma running shows close. Um, and uh, would, would would like to see more of that next year um, because I, I think it makes it much easier for the Oswego guys to go participate. Um, and so that's great. Hopefully that'll go well for them. Okay, so um, we've got two more races here to cover, um, and I'm going to transition us to the uh, 350 event. And again, um, gosh, Jeffrey Battle... 
four out of six in the 350 classics, but he really had to work for this one. That car in the beginning of the race was not a friendly beast for him, and he was going backwards. And then, you know, um, I, I kind of laughed. It was like, oh, great. Get brother, big brother, get little brother to spin out or big brother. I don't remember. I don't know who's older. You probably tell me better, but get to get the brother to spin out so you can pit, fix your race car and come out and just uh, drive through the field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan spun out. He's the younger brother. Younger. Okay. They're both in the pits at the same time. Yeah. Which was, it's like, wow, well, you know, he picked those guys as a couple of favorites for the win or the podium and they're both in the pits. Um, and I just figured, well, it's not going to be their day, and they're going to run kind of towards the back and, and struggle to get back up towards the front. And, boy, was I wrong on, yeah. on both of them. Uh, Jeffrey just marched right up through the field, kind of took his time doing it. He had to work for it, but it wasn't easy. I think he was still fighting a pretty loose race car. Yeah. But uh, got up to second, and Jim Storris, man, what a run. Oh, he my had. goodness. His finest hour is it? I don't. I don't think he's ever won a race, has he? Um, at a Swigo, has yeah, he? Not at a Swigo, no. Okay, but no, that's but... what I mean. At a Swigo, I don't think he's ever won. I, that was his finest run at a Swigo. That was great. Definitely, yeah, it definitely was. And um, just honestly, last year he wasn't even competitive compared to what yeah. he was this year, and was one of the the fastest cars all weekend, um, Friday to Sunday, and um, I really liked the battles and gotten to be good friends with them but at the same time i also um was pulling for jim and then i found out even more so at the end that i would have loved to see jim win because his longtime girlfriend kelly was there with him over the weekend and she had been diagnosed with terminal cancer oh no um and she actually passed away just five days after the race oh Oh, that's awful. Golly. Um, okay, uh, yeah. Prayers and condolences to um, them and also, of course, to uh, the Rayvalls family. Um, wow, that's – I didn't know that. That's um, – uh, well, I mean, she got to see him run his best race at Oswego, but yeah, that's a shame yes. that uh, he he couldn't. And, and again, you know, always happy for Jeffrey, but um, you know, you you always like to see new winners in those races too, and that would have been fun to to see Jim get that, and he surely did run a, a race to win. I mean, he drove a winning race. Jeffrey was just a little faster at the end, and um, boy, it's it's amazing how um, that kid uh the talent he has because like you said i don't think the car i think it was obviously much better than it was in the beginning but it you know it they didn't get it all the way there it didn't seem like where he would have wanted it and yeah you're right he he really had to he tried going to the top try get you know like you could see him working Jim over and Jim just was not budging for the longest time. And then I think it was on a restart. If I remember right, Ryan finally got him. And when he did, he just kind of, or uh, Jeffrey finally got him and he opened it up a little bit, but um, man, that uh, it's amazing uh, how consistent that kid is. And, and he is definitely a driver that uh, again, you know, you'd like to see him go somewhere in the sport and yet, um, you know, happy to have him around the short tracks as long as he's there, you know? <laughs> yeah. He's just a wheel man. He is. Um, was, just drove a really smart race in traffic. Once he caught up to Jim in traffic, the traffic ended up being Jim's downfall, I think. Yep. 
um, you know, it was, I, I did not know that until after the race about his girlfriend and everything. That's, um, again, you know, you would have loved to see him get the win, but absolutely, what a, what a drive uh, yeah. for Jim and um, some really beautiful, beautiful pictures of him and Kelly and victory lane and her sitting in turn three cheering him on. Um, what a story, honestly. And, uh, yeah, thoughts with, with Jim and his family and everybody out at Star Speedway. I know she was very well-liked and uh, will be sorely missed. So just been thinking a lot about the Storrs family. Uh, man, um, you know, and, and again, a race that, uh, you know, Ryan ended up getting back up for, I think he ended up fifth, which was a, a, fifth, yeah. a good recovery for him. Um, but, you know, I know he would like to have run for the win, but a race where I think, you know, there were some guys – you know, obviously, we can start with Josh Sokolik. I mean, my goodness gracious, he, you know, when I saw him after the races were over, um, he, he just looked like, you know, he he was just, he was, it was just like, he didn't even know what to say, hardly. Like, it, it just, um, you know, they had, they, they had such a big year, and then they get to the the very tail end of it where you want to have that big momentum going into the Classic and start having this gremlin that uh, crept into the car and, um, you know, can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. Then they got it, it seemed like, and he was fast again, and then it comes to the race, and here we go. Um, you know, it just let him down again, and, boy, that – I I know he would have been tough to beat that race, and there again, that's it's just that's classic weekend for you. It's it's equal parts cruel and kind. Well, he definitely had a lot for the New England guys, and it showed in time trials. And uh, it is a real shame to have your track champion let's um, put the caliber of a season that he has together yeah. run into so much bad luck at the end. It was. I don't want to say like a bittersweet track championship night, but maybe it was a little bit to them. Those guys are a very competitive bunch and they've yep. been trying to work the bugs out of the car for a while and um, ended up being sideline championship night with an issue that was just with the broken right front suspension part, I think. Yeah. Um, that ended up sending a wheel a little bit loose for him, but uh, classic weekend again, another story. Um, and I don't know what ended up happening, something mechanical, obviously, but, but they had fought a problem with keeping the car running properly the yeah. week before championship night, and then the problem with the right front on championship night, and now whatever, this was classic. So, um, yeah, that that sucked. felt a little unfair to kind of see Josh not be able to go and run for the win, like I think we all know that he could have. Exactly. Uh, but we'll see this week he's going to the star classic so we'll see how he does out there good well hopefully he has a good run out there um and uh you know he'll be motivated to come back next year and and uh you know do it again but um that's just uh yeah that was heartbreak city for him and also for two of the other younger drivers that you thought might have been contenders uh robbie worth uh ended up uh actually didn't have a good race in either that race or the sbs race ended up with issues in both and uh tail and hawksby um also a driver that you were kind of keeping an eye on thinking he might have a good run um ended up with some issues too and so um two of the guys i think dave cliff was another one you know um it's uh was sort of a struggle for some of the regulars right it was robbie ended up spinning on the start there and um, 
that sucked. Um, I really wanted to see them be able to turn their season of bad luck around. Uh, they sort of did. On uh, in, in August, she ended up having a really yeah. good lunch run uh darn near almost one uh and just man they can't catch a break lately with that car uh they were gonna have griffin miller run the other car and then he ended up being too tall yeah (laughs) yeah just you know not the weekend they wanted and then with talon honestly looking at the lineup uh he's been so fast i picked him to either win or finish second yeah i thought he was gonna have a really good run that day yep yep i thought he was gonna be right on on the podium i thought maybe Jeffrey and Josh and, and Talon was going to be your podium, but um, just, I think, experience and um, the car probably wasn't right where they wanted. I could tell he was struggling with the handling a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's it's too bad for those guys. Um, I think Talon still had a really, really impressive rookie season. Sure and, did. Um, handful of podium finishes and uh, has grown a lot this year. Um, so I'm excited to see what he's going to do next year and uh, same thing for Robbie Worth. That was just his rookie season. It feels like we've been hearing the name forever, but yeah, that was only yeah. his first year in the 350s. So um, plenty of time for growth and better results moving forward for both those guys. And um, Dave Cliff, we all know what that team's capable yep. of, and they're headed out to star this weekend also. So wish them the best, too. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So go ahead and read us the finish. Okay, yeah, picking up the yeah four out of six. That's pretty crazy. Jeff Battle gets the win. Uh, second was Jim Storis. Third, Eddie Wickham Jr. Really good run for him. Um, they they turned that program around. For struggled. sure. Yeah. There this year to Swigo and weren't even sure they were coming. And I know Eddie was really happy with that. So uh, good run for Eddie in third. Uh, Nick Barzee was fourth. Great run there too. For Absolutely. Barzee. Yep. Uh, fifth was Ryan Battle. A really nice recovery there. Also, Kyle Perry sixth. John Leonard, 7th, Brad Babb, 8th, Jason Spaulding, ninth, Brendan Young, the rookie, finishes 10th, Dave Cliff, 11th, Matt Demian from out west, Sandusky Speedway area, finishes 12th, Bobby Holmes, 13th, Callan Oxby, 14th, Bailey Groves, 15th, Noah Ratcliffe, 16th, glad he was okay after a hard hit. Oh, big time. Big time. Uh, Danny Kay, 17th, Robbie Worth, 18th, and Josh Sokolik, 19th. Yeah, and you know, again, it's it's uh, you, you you just see a number of of different sort of stories in that race. I mean, um, great to see Danny Kay attempt double duty. Hate to hate that the uh, neither of the I mean, obviously neither of the cars finished. Um, but um, you know, the the three fifty I know is is a work in progress for them, and I hope they'll keep with it and uh, bring it back next year and. Um, and figure it all out because we all know Danny can be, you know, he's a winner in anything he gets in. He just, you know, the, they haven't got all the bugs worked out of that yet. And, um, and definitely, uh, Nick Marzee, first of all, after all the bad luck that young man had, um, most all of the season, he goes and gets a win and finishes strong in that race in the classic. So like, I feel like he's got a lot of momentum that's, um, you know, that's going to be very beneficial for him starting 2024. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope they stick with it on a full-time basis next year. And um, everything that family puts into Oswego Speedway, yes. and, uh, racing in general, um, just kind of seemed unfair uh, sitting back and watching everything that his mom, Michelle, does for the Speedway and how dedicated that Nick and his dad, Bobby, are to the car and 
um, just not seeing them have the season they wanted. And then yep. finally things really started to turn the corner and just great to see a really wonderful family get the results out of their efforts that they truly deserve. And then you mentioned Ratcliffe. Um, I'm not sure whatever happened there, but um, but boy, that was a that was a hard hit. Yeah, um, I guess it just. I think he said it bottomed out a little bit too, oh. and just got on it too quick, and it kind of snapped around and overcorrected on him. And Oof. Um, probably a bit of a learning curve there. Those cars, even with the top lane on, aren't going to be as forgiving. Uh, is the SBS when they get loose like that. So um, I'm glad he was okay. He's quite uh, – Ryan Battle texted me his in-car from that deal. Oh. He must have missed Noah by three feet. No kidding. Wow. Off the wall. It would have been – I mean, he would have got just blasted if, if yeah. <laughs> Ryan didn't see him at the last second. So uh, glad it wasn't much worse than it already was. And you mentioned Griffin Miller. Uh, Griffin told me after that um... – He's really looking at the 350 class, and maybe we see Griffin in the 350 next year. That would be a whole lot of fun. That kid could drive. Yeah, and I think that Griffin's a lot better driver than he gets credit for. for um, sure. Taken an ill-handling race car uh, several times this year and uh, brought it home with some really good finishes and I think really showed in the classic that once the car's running right, he's even more capable of being a front runner. And um, I hated to see his classic end the way it did, yeah. uh, but – they had some great speed out of that car, the SBS, and then also uh, the super stock, which overheated. So not much luck, but uh, I think he's pretty darn good wheel and uh, was excited for him to get the 350 opportunity. And uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. I'm sure that that's something they're going to look at. Absolutely. That would be awesome. Um, and okay. So uh, we have the SBS race to talk about. And um, <laughs> again, you know, Mike Bond, nine wins in the uh, SBS limited, whatever, super modified classic, because I think maybe the first time he won it, maybe or the first couple, it might have still been called limiteds. Um, but um, again, you start the man on the outside pole, it's kind of like, what do you expect? You know, <laughs> I mean, that was, you could see that one coming from a mile away. And the only car I feel like that might have had something for him was Danny Kay, and of course, Danny, I guess, ran over something or picked up something in that early uh, jingle there, two or three laps in, and, and ended up with a flat tire. Um, and golly, I just, I will never know, but I, I feel like he's, the first, like, two laps of that race, he just was blowing through the field like a Japanese bullet train, and it would have been interesting to see if he could have uh, had something for his mentor. Yeah, uh, man, they had a really lousy classic weekend. Just no they luck did. at all yeah. for that team. Um, and they really worked hard over the month leading up to the classic to put all their focus on the classic, which right. makes it even more frustrating. You have the mechanical woes there on the 350 and then a freak thing with the SBS. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the way the I was at the driver's meeting and the way the redraw worked for the SBS, they just said, okay, just, you know, you're going to go out and time trial and then, I can't remember if it was the top 10 or the top 12. Top I think 12. it was yeah. the top 12, yeah. And they just said, and then we're going to redraw, and we're not going to tell you how, so essentially don't sandbag. Just go run the fastest lap that you can run. And I can only imagine the redraw when Mike pulled second. Yeah. Second, <laughs> probably just like, well, 
crap. Yeah. Great. Well, so much for that, boys. We tried. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, see, what we got to do is come up with an incentive to start the boy a lap down next year. Um, if, if you accept this challenge, you start a lap down. and uh, Or at least at the back of the field. And then that way it's, you know, maybe 30 laps before he gets the lead anyway. Uh, but um, all joking aside, I mean, everybody, and, and look, I, I said said this and I've said it before, um, everybody makes Mike the goat because he's won nine of these races. The reality is he could have had 11. He was DQ'd from one and he took himself out last year with a rare, bad decision on the track that he made. But, um, but you've got to have a great car and a great team around your car to be able to go out and do that and win nine nine of those things or any any race nine times for that matter that's that competitive and you know i i ask the question when is the last time that the 74 broke when's the last time that car didn't finish other than last year when mike you know made a mistake and then you know when's the last time you saw the car show up and it wasn't top two or three fast right that is a that team if 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 you're if if to me i feel like there's been drivers in the division who are as good as mike bond but as a whole team as a whole sort of you know package i don't know that there's ever been a better group uh no no i would say no in the sbs class ever uh in the stats show 52 wins is pretty unbelievable it is never gonna be touched ever by anybody yep. no one's even halfway there yep so just really remarkable um i think everybody likes to pick and say oh go run the supers or go do this or that and it's you know what i mean he, that's still not easy there's still a lot of really good cars absolutely class, especially on classic weekend i mean you've got danny k you've got Noah ratcliffe andrew Shartner. the list goes on yep. um to beat any of those guys jesse barrop that's a tall task, and he did it handedly. And all every year, <laughs> every year he does it handily. You know, it's it's incredible, and it's not that you take away from Mike as being maybe he is the greatest, but but I mean he he certainly if there's a Mount Rushmore of SBS, he's on it, right? I mean, um, but but I just think it that sort of that kind of thing detracts from the fact that that it'd be different if, you know, okay, the car breaks down once in a while, it doesn't do, and Mike carries it. I don't feel like Mike ever has to carry that car, that car and that team, it, they show up they're They're the fastest or they're the second fastest, you know, or whatever. And, um, and Mike just goes and skunks the field. That car is incredible. And, um, you know, it's, it's, so it's, I feel like it's the combination in this case that really has made the difference there. Um, you know, and, and Mike, you got one of the greatest drivers ever. And then one, and then, you know, that car is iconic. I mean, I don't know when, how I would love for somebody to, to, to be able to, to look back and, you know, when's the, how many times and when's the last time that car broke in a race, you know, that it just doesn't happen. No, never. Uh, and that's just the kind of guy Mike is. Yeah. He'll tell you races are one in the shop. And, yep. Um, my dad's told me an awful lot about Mike and his work ethic and um, the way that he is and does things behind the scenes in the shop. Um, 
drove our super and even back well, then that's, that's right yeah that's always been who mike bond is yeah it's work ethic and dedication and it doesn't matter if he comes out for just the classic or opening day or whatever they're they're in the shop all week they're testing yeah i mean mike bond doesn't need to come and test but they do. They want to make sure it's perfect, yep. and it's that kind of effort that, at the end of the day, has won him nine classics. Yep, and that's the thing. It's like, my gosh, um, you know, it's, you look at it, and really, um, you can apply that to anyone. I mean, Otto's got a great crew. You know, even Jimmy Champagne had a great crew. You know, yeah. um, I mean, it's but it just feels to me like, in this case, um, you know, it, 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 it is – really a combination that's won him you know all of those races it you know and and you take him out of that and and i mean again you put him in a super in the super you know obviously it wasn't the most well-funded probably didn't have the most horsepower or whatever all the the things were but like you know mike goes out and gets a hundred percent out of the car and if the car is a hundred percent which that 74 has been a hundred percent almost every time i think i've seen it race um you know, Mike just, it's not like a close win. He blows the field into the weeds and, you know, makes the rest of them just look slow. It is just, and even, you know, in that race, um, we, again, we'll never know what Danny could have done, but Andrew was driving the wheels off that sucker just to have a shot at him. And he was no match, you know, and uh, again, one of Andrew's best runs in a long time in that race. And, you know, yeah, he looked great. He had nothing. You know, so it's just nothing for Mike. So um, incredible. And, you know, you just wonder how many more times he wants to come back and do it. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it'll it be interesting to see what 24 brings for, for that team. Um, but, uh, again, just, you know, really, the, I, I there was never a moment from, from the time I saw where he was starting all the way through the end of the race, there was never a moment where I doubted the outcome unless Mike – you know, again, unless he messed up like he did last year, I did. I never doubted for a minute that he was going to um, going to go go off and win that race. But um, Andrew had a good run for second. Barrett, um, you know, again, there's a guy that it feels like he's been racing a long time, and I think he's been fast for a while. But it feels like over the last couple seasons, he almost sort of came out of left field, where all of a sudden he went from being competitive to elite in the class yeah yeah i mean honestly it's uh, he's the car to beat this week i think at evans mills yeah um, probably is and i have talked about it they're so fast right now um i don't know um i feel like we, we're gonna struggle to to run with those guys they, that car is hooked up yeah. uh 18 4 3 6 or whatever it was that's that was a fast lap just off the record yeah, and we haven't been anywhere close to that record in years. And yeah. you have to remember, that's with a, a crate motor, too. And they don't really have much difference than we have. They got a brand-new killer crate motor the same year we did, and that's what we have. And okay. uh, they, they have their car figured right out, yeah. man. It's like, wow, that thing's just – it's it's a missile. So, um, yeah, he's he's had a really good year um, winning at Evans Mills, a couple at Oswego, and um, – I think with the exception of the classic, which was a third, every time he's finished a race, he's won. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's so, you know, it's just, he's, he's just a guy that uh, 
for me is really just sort of shot out of a cannon um, in recent years. And, and it's great to see that. Uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, go through the finish and we'll talk about some more. Yeah, the win to Mike Bond, Andrew Shardner second, Jesse Barrett third, Mike Bruce fourth, and the Gunther Carr. Yep. Uh, Drew Pascuzzi fifth, Cameron Rowe sixth, Noah Ratcliffe seventh, Sean Goslin eighth, Brad Ains ninth, Carter Gates tenth, Tony DeStevens eleventh, AJ Larkin twelfth, Robbie Worth thirteenth, Jude Parker fourteenth, Danny K fifteenth, Griffin Miller sixteenth, Brian Haynes seventeenth, Tessa Crawford eighteenth, Jordan Sullivan nineteenth, DJ Schumann twentieth. Mike Fowler, 21st, Ken Pierce, 22nd, uh, Tony Pisa, 23rd, and Greg Richardson, 24th. What a hit for Tony Pisa. Oh, oh. man. I mean, you see in the back of that car, man. I mean, well, I mean, and, and again, you, you know, Greg O'Connor had one and then Pisa had one. It's like that team needs an exorcism or something. It's, uh, it's crazy. That's just uh, two really big time, big time hits. But, um, yeah, really, really tough there, and uh, you know that there again a race with a lot of uh, a lot of yellows, a lot of kind of malaise, and you know some guys that I had thought like Mike Fowler was one I was really looking for a, a, a good run out of uh, with the Carson Ten, and and um, just ended up getting into almost every jingle that that you know that was that he could, um, and. Uh, you know, didn't have the result that he wanted, but, um, you know, the two of the guys that I thought did a really nice job. First of all, again, Mike Bruce, um, getting into the, the Gunther car and going out and finishing top five. I mean, that was a big deal to me for him and for the team. Um, and again, more proof that that kid just can get anything, get in anything and make it fast. Oh yeah. Yep. He's a heck of a driver and, um, he'll again, he's won, I think what, three, four races in a row at Evans Mills. So I think Jesse's the car to beat this weekend, but he's going to have to beat Mike if he wants to win. So, yeah. um, Mike didn't run in the spring. So, so that doesn't count every race he's entered in the SBS at Evans Mills the past couple of years, he's won it. So, um, they've been able to make that car go big time when Mike's in it. And, um, you know, I hope he continues to get some opportunities there in the SBS when he can. I know he has a lot of fun with it and um, also is going to be bringing our old super out as a 350 next year and really yep. excited to see yep. how that goes as well. It'll be fun. And then uh, Sean Goslin. I mean, there's, a, again, coming in, uh, you know, right at the tail end of the season, jumping in a car in a class he's never driven in. Um, and that car, we know it's fast and you know, went out and, you know, had some issues initially on Friday and, you know, but they got the thing by the time the race started, that car was, it was a good race car again. And, and, uh, Sean had a really nice run with it. And, um, it was good to see Sean back at the track. That's another family that, you know, obviously they were a part of the super modified division for a number of years and Sean, a winner. And, um, you know, but uh, they've been around the track a good while, all of them, and good to see him back in a car, and and it seemed like he had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, he did really well. It was actually pretty funny uh, championship night. I didn't expect to be in a SBS that night, and I didn't expect to race against Sean Goslin. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you that. Uh, and we ended up battling with each other the last couple laps, so uh, that was fun, and uh, that car, um, in my opinion right now is actually the best car in the O'Connor stable. They, yeah. they've kind of brought it out of the 
mothballed, so to speak, and it's been pretty fast every time. And um, I got one for you. I guess Sean Muldoon is driving it this weekend at Evans Mills. So, Oh, we'll really? That. No yeah. kidding. Wow. Well, that'll be Sean's first race in years. And, um, I mean, he finished in the Supers and won, of course, won the track championship in the Super Modified Division. I don't, gosh, I wouldn't even know when the last time he was in an SBS car was, but um, I know it's been a good while. So that's kind of cool that he's coming out of, uh, I don't know if I'd call it retirement, but, you know, coming back and getting back in the car again. And um, we'll see how he does, because you're right, that car's fast. I mean, it was fast last year at the Classic. I think it was last year or the year before, whenever uh, Andy, uh, Andy Loden drove it. Um, and, um, you know, Andy, unfortunately didn't have the best, uh, results with it, but, um, yeah, I think he ended up in a wreck or something, but, um, but that he, he was really fast with it. So you're right. That 29 is a fast car. And I, I wish that, uh, you know, they would run it more because, um, you know, that car could, I feel like that car could win some races. Yeah, for sure. And I hope maybe they do. And, that'll entice them to put more drivers in the car and yeah uh, Yeah. it's been an interesting selection of choices they've made and they've been two for two on having a couple good drivers in it so far that have produced speed and decent results so uh fun to see sean maltoon get a chance to get back in it uh he uh i think the last super race he ran was the 2016 classic so it hasn't been terribly long but a limited it's been probably decades yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, well, even 16, that was about seven years ago. So, you know, yeah. he's been out a while. So uh, always fun to see something like that happen. And and especially, I I just think the Evans Mills thing's awesome. I love that place. It's a cool little track, a neat little facility. And to see the Super Modifieds running there, um, you know, to me, that's a home run ball. Um, and, you know, with the SBS division also, and then you get those opportunities because it's not in a swing of points race, you know, you get some of this, you know, Hey, yeah, come and drive the car or whatever. And you always see a little of that. Um, now is Mike Bruce, is he going to be in the 22 again? Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that'll be really interesting to see, um, how that goes for sure. Um, all right. So, um, want to talk i want your thoughts on seeing one of or maybe the most iconic super modified in the history of the sport back at the track with well two of its old drivers but one of them got behind the wheel um what what were your thoughts as you know obviously you were you didn't see ever see the car race what what was it like for you as a fan to to kind of be a part of all that and watch all that happen well, honestly, my biggest regret of the weekend is I didn't have the time to make it over for a picture with Bentley by the car. Um, but I was just sitting in the pits with my dad watching him go around, and my dad just looked at me and goes, this is freaking badass. Yeah. And it just, it was. And, of course, it's he goes way faster than you think he's going to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'd love to go back on the video and time how fast he was going because if you think about what the pole time for the classic was in 1969, right? He was not. He was not that far off of that. I would love to. Yeah, I would love for you to do that because I think it would be really interesting to know they didn't announce it or say anything. I, I, and I, of course, I was too busy taking pictures to think about timing, but um, yeah. it would have been interesting because you're right. I mean, he really he was faster than I thought he'd be. And I, I'm really, um, you know, I'm disappointed 
that they only gave him four laps because I think the fans would have liked to have seen a little more. And, you know, with the weather the way it was, um, gosh, it, it didn't feel like another, you know, five or six laps or 10 laps would have been taken up that much more time. But um, seeing that car on the track, and it's funny because a few of us were talking afterward. I think it was Rick Nelson said, he, you know, somebody asked him what was it like and you know what it looked like or whatever and he goes it looks small and it that's that was kind of one of my thoughts too like you realize the little deuce is a little deuce and to to to, you know it's the little deuce that could right it's just crazy to 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 look at that car in comparison to you know what's there today um and and think that that car was such a dominant iconic car in so many ways um, and even to see Bentley and Warren Coney and both sit in it and see how they were positioned and, you know, the the sort of upright style of, of seating, um, just crazy to think about how your dads were badass. Think about how badass it had to be to drive that car to a classic win in 1969. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah I just, it was just so cool. And, um to actually get to, I talked to Bentley for about 20 minutes earlier in the week and um, it's not every day your phone rings and you look down and see Bentley Warren uh, which is a really cool moment for wow, me that's awesome talked a bit about the history of the car and just a little bit about racing and about my win which meant a lot and uh, that was really special to do so um, I guess I'll take that any day over my my picture that I wanted but for sure uh, just it is uh, a little car. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was surprised when it pulled up on the trailer. It's like, oh, that's that's it. And yeah. When it comes off the trailer, it's like, wow, this little trailer fits a super modified on it. That's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, and just you know the history and how dominant that car was, and to process that it's literally sat in the same spot. Yep. Since nineteen seventy four and yeah. wasn't moved until last year. Um, what a job by Doug Holmes and uh, Bentley and Jamie Moore and everybody involved. And thanks to the Purdy family for making this possible and uh, being so supportive of it. It's been a long time coming. Well, and of course, when you when you hear this show, um, Jamie actually gave me a set of handwritten notes that basically was Doug Holmes recounting sort of the chronology and the genesis of the project from the beginning and i read it and and so you know we've we aired it um and it's it's um it's incredible um to be able to do that and to have that privilege and and just the the way that it came together was less than a year from start to finish and um you know just to see that car out there and and know that it it's it's back and even with a small block um you know, I thought Bentley really, uh, really did a, a a fun thing by by standing on it a little bit at least, and and not just sort of putting around with it. Um, you know, he he really uh, gave it a good four lap ride there, and uh, um, you know, I I just I hope that everybody that was there really fully understands the history that happened in those four laps, because I mean. It's even if it never happens again, which I hope it does, uh, 
even if it never happens again, it's like that car after all those years got to go out and actually, you know, run around the speedway. And like you said, I'd love to know the time. So maybe you could do that and share that with us. But, um, it would be, uh, it had to be a crazy experience for Bentley. I didn't get to talk to him too much afterward, but it just had to be an insane experience for him to be able to do that. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. And, uh, for context, he sent the track set, the track record in 1969 with a 1929. That was a classic pole. I don't think he was running quite that fast. He's probably that's faster than I would have thought actually in 69. Yeah. I I was thinking 20, 21 (laughs) seconds actually. Um, so he's probably three, four seconds off of that. And maybe it sounds stupid to some people to make it about times because it's just, just about the car and, and the legend behind the wheel. But the legend behind the wheel always comes back with these restored cars and drives them way faster than he's told he should. So well, it kind of makes it fun to see. How see, I don't think goes. like for me, knowing the time, I, I, I think to myself, well, OK, if, you know how like I just want to understand miles an hour like how because to me it doesn't matter if it's 19 or 21 or 23 when you think about a car that is that is you know 60 years old or whatever it is um that sat for you know 40 plus years um you know from so 40 like nine years got restored in 10 months and comes back out and and even if he was doing a hundred average speed with it that's the impressive part it's not the lap time to me in this case um it's it it's just the fact that he, you know he was going that fast at his age in that car i know i know it's you know it's unbelievable he just he hasn't aged for like i don't even know the last <laughs> yeah however many decades he still acts like he's I don't know, 25. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's probably true too. It's probably even younger than 60, but yeah, he, he just, um, he just had Bentley is great. He just has a lot of fun with his life and he's in a position to do that and, and bless him. I mean, it's just, uh, he, he, he just, um, he, he brings, uh, he brings fun and, uh, frivolity to, to any place he is. And, um, that's a, that's a great way to be, um and just to be able to do that at his age was just spectacular so i wondered what your impressions were of that um and then uh i guess we can just uh end on talking a little bit about friday night because i made the statement and i stand by it i thought friday night's two races were the two most exciting races of the weekend and to me i just think jody london does an amazing job to put those two shows together and get all those cars into the pit area and and have them go out and run the way they did. Both of those races were real exciting almost to the very end. Um, and uh, it was a great night of racing in with some divisions that you just don't normally get to see. Right. I thought that Garrett was the obvious favorite, but the super stock race ended up pretty good. He didn't, yeah. well, he didn't walk away with it. The compact yeah. race was excellent. Yeah. Um, the sport mod race was excellent. The NASCAR mod race was excellent. The only one that I thought wasn't a great race was the SBS, and that's just because Mike Bond well, dominated. Yeah, I mean, Mike Bond's uh, in the race. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the ultimate compliment. I'm not. Yeah. I think people sometimes probably think I'm like disrespect. It's no. It's it. As soon as that car shows up, the race is over. I mean, it's it's that's how good it, it he is, and it is. I mean, it's just like crap, you know. Um, how do you beat the guy? Um, but um, 
but yeah, you're right. That was probably the only one of the weekend that was just kind of a you know stink bomb, and it, and it, and it and it I don't even want to call it that. It was competitive, right. just not for first. You know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. yeah. The 350, the move in traffic there with, with yeah. Jeffrey and Jim, and then the supers um, came down to a fuel situation drama at the end. So um, it was it was a good weekend overall. I think that the Speedway was really happy with the crowd. I think they're really happy. With I the hope weather. so. Yeah. I mean, um, it was pretty good crowd Sunday. I thought so too. Yeah. I was um, really liked the format too. The stock car spectacular on Friday, yes. the modified madness Saturday. And uh, I think we're going to do the same thing next year. So good. Good. So it was, uh, it was a good weekend. And, um, I will close with a, a Bentley story. This is really funny. And oh, we'll, have more, we'll have more to come about the rule changes and everything. We were supposed to do some testing, uh, this past week, but couldn't get tires, but just to elaborate a little bit on what's going on. Um, basically the current plan is to take, uh, wicker and wing angle away from the rear wing um which is going to slow the cars down tremendously uh and really promote passing in my opinion um can you explain like to a fan that doesn't understand can you explain how that works and why that's going to be effective uh yeah you're just going to lose all of your downforce and and grip in the rear of the car so um i think i think what it's going to do is uh, really free the cars up okay and then your big front nose wings that have kind of gotten bigger and bigger over the last few years to make these cars turn to compensate for all the downforce that's on the back of the car we're going to have to shrink those back down to much smaller wings to tighten the car up with the front nose wing because the back wing is going to have little or no angle and no wicker which a wicker is basically just a little stick of sheet metal. That's the simple way of putting it that you attach to the wing for aerodynamics. And it makes a tremendous difference when you add or take away wicker. So okay. um, they're trying to keep it simple and keep the same look and not add all sorts more sheet metal and right. things like that to the equation. So they'll look the same, but if we go through with this change, they're going to race a lot different. Um, and that's really encouraging. Uh, so I'm excited, but the Bentley story is we, <laughs> Mike Tillman and, uh, Irish Saunders from Hoosier and the yeah. Tracy organized this meeting. And the plan was to call Bentley during the meeting for his input. So I don't know, it was supposed to start at like six o'clock and we called Bentley at 10 after six. He answered the phone driving on his motorcycle, picking up a piece of pizza from somebody and <laughs> holding a drink in the other hand and said, I'll have to call you guys right back. Solomon's <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, okay, Bentley, if anybody else told me that I wouldn't believe him, but since it's you, I guess you're probably telling the truth. Call me back in 10 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, again, the motorcycle stories with Bentley are just endless. Um, like the helicopter ones were for a while. Oh, I mean, yeah. um, yeah. You know, he, you just never know with Bentley what, what you're getting into and, uh, or what he's yeah. going to get into. And that's why I, you know, I kind of, I met Lisa for the first time, his girlfriend oh, over the weekend. She is great. And I, you know, it's like you just, and, and, and you, you think to yourself, she is the luckiest lady right now on the planet because she gets to be firsthand observer to all of this, right? Like, right. you know, we hear about it 
in, in story fashion, she lives it with him. Like it's just, um, she gets to see it in person. Like that's just gotta be the, the most incredible thing. But, um, you know, just priceless eating, yeah. drinking, talking on the phone and driving his motorcycle. Unbelievable. Only Unbelievable. Bentley. Yep. Only Bentley. Yeah, exactly. And somehow, you know, not crashing. I mean, that's just, you know, it's, it, it, it's just incredible. He, he just, 83 yeah, yeah, 80, yeah. almost 83 years old. Unbelievable. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it would be fun to figure out how fast he actually was running in that car. Just, just purely for the number. I mean, it's not that it, it makes it better or worse, but probably you, you, you think about if he was anywhere approaching a hundred miles an hour, average speed at his age in that car um after you know all these years that like who else does that you know that's no. just the thing you know that's why i you know for me that that's that's why it would be interesting to know it's not you know um trying to set a land speed record but because truthfully i think you know if if you had let him stay out a little longer he probably would have picked up the throttle a little more so either way maybe it was good he only gave him four laps you know <laughs> but uh Anyway, um, well, th- and thank you for taking the time, of course, to be on and, and, and for also letting us know about um, some of the things for 24 that are going on and giving us some insight into that. I'm sure um, everybody will be uh, excited to, to see now when is the testing supposed to take place now, given that uh, it obviously got postponed the first time. Uh, just as soon as the weather's good enough in the spring, but uh, I'm pretty confident they're going to go through with the the rule change and um, oh, okay. they wanted me to put a press release out about it and I have it started and some quotes from the right people involved and was kind of waiting after the testing to see what was produced on the track yeah. but obviously that didn't happen so I think we're going to kind of regroup and um, hopefully really soon come out with some changes official changes and uh, want to get the first race announced and most of the schedule announced during the banquet uh, there's Good. just no reason to come out with stuff late as we have a couple times in the past so yeah. we're going to do things as early as possible and Good. get ready for 24 all as well the dirt's going down today and just uh, i think planning on opening memorial day weekend again next year so all's good here that's great well again uh uh super dirt week coming up really quickly i cannot believe it is the middle of september already um but uh time to start thinking about that and uh that was going to be my closing bit so you started down that road um what uh where obviously a swigospeedway.com right for all the ticketing information is dirt uh, or where is where do people go if they want to show up for dirt week uh superdirtweek.com we, okay. we typically are hands off with it uh okay. we'll, we'll share the important posts and stuff but even when somebody calls the track we tell them to call 844-DIRT-TIX okay or just go to superdirtweek.com for everything you need to know the whole schedule the maps uh ticketing information camping information uh it honestly has nothing to do with anybody at oswego speedway whatsoever it's just completely rented out by world racing group so uh definitely contact those guys for any super dirt week questions but um we'll have the basics online and the results and things like that if you want to follow along awesome all right superdirtweek.com and i just realized i did overlook one thing in my notes here we all want to uh, let you go without talking about the new hall of fame class that just got nominated. So, um, I'll, I'll, it, it, do you need like 30, do I need to like talk for 30 seconds to let you pull it up? 
No, I think I've got most of them on my head, and then by the time I'm there, I'll have the rest. Okay, good. Uh, so tell us who's in the Hall of Fame. Who's going into the Hall? Yeah, Bobby Bond, uh, three-time classic champion and several feature wins there. So yep. uh, well-deserved. He'll join his brother, Mike, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, J.J. Andrews, which is pretty cool. He's uh, been dedicated to motorsports for decades in several capacities, be it racing, riding, um, all kinds of stuff. Still an active columnist with Area Auto. So um, really happy for him. I think his passion's unmatched and uh, well-deserved there. Um, two guys that I'm really excited about that kind of go hand-in-hand right now are Steve Miller and and Doug Holmes, and um, obviously uh, Steve, a car owner, yep. uh, winning car owner, uh, has built several cars, and then Doug Holmes, who's taken care of so many uh, driver teams' engines over the years. But um, I think recent, recently what they're most noted for is these beautiful restorations. Absolutely, that they've built. yep. Um, and it's really cool to see both of them get in at the same time in the same class. Uh, so that's super special. Um, thank the world of both those guys. Uh, and then lastly, Mike Shrimp is going to get in, and he's been involved with the Speedway for years doing all the lighting stuff. So when we screwed up this year twice and the lights yeah. went out, Shrimp fixed that, and uh, <laughs> Classic Friday wouldn't have resumed. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. Without Mike's assistance, I know that. I don't think he was physically there, but um, – that, that wouldn't have happened without Mike's help and getting him on the line. And then when it happened earlier this year, uh, opening weekend, he was up in the bucket truck fixing those lights. And he's he's worked on the lighting and the scoreboard and the wiring at Oswego Speedway for years. So um, well-deserved there also. And I should mention Chuck Hanley, too. He's technically in last year's class. But, I was going to say. Uh, officially inducted uh, this season and get to give his speech and everything also. And um, man, between the race directing for Isma, Oswego, everything he does, Oswego, behind the scenes, he's basically the track's promoter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Coming up with the purse structures, the schedules, uh, all of the information out to the competitors. Chuck does a, a ton for Oswego Speedway um, and is very, very underappreciated. So this is a great Hall of Fame class, an extremely, extremely well-deserving Hall of Fame class. They all are, but I really like this class. The Hall of Fame committee did a great job. I agree 100%. Um, I I will note, however, that it will probably be important for you to have one of those little hourglass sand timers for Jay Andrews' speech, or you're all going to be there till Tuesday. <laughs> you're probably not wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'll have quite the speech prepared if I know JJ. Yeah, it should be uh, should be entertaining y'all on a live stream. That one, we I think that would get a good uh, a, a good audience. Uh, but um, well, again, thanks for coming on, Cam, and always as always, and uh, we'll we'll have you back here on uh hopefully to talk about evans mills and uh yeah. great to see your dad back in the car and you know thankful that he that means his health is improved to the point of of him being able to to go play again and hope you guys have a good safe run there and everybody does and uh we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll have you back next week to talk about it thank you that sounds great Welcome back to the show. It's time for What's in a Number. And this week we're looking at the number 28. Uh, and I can already tell you, this show is going to, uh, 
we're going to run some overtime here. Um, so uh, thank those of you who will actually listen to the whole thing. Um, the reason I wanted, the reason I say that is because I, I want to do something that um, I don't believe that I've done on this show yet it, because it's it's appropriate here, I think. So when you think about the number 28, who comes to your mind? I mean, obviously, if you're a younger fan, maybe Kempton Dates doesn't, uh, isn't the first name that comes to you, but this is one of those things, one of those situations where, to me, um, there is a clear cut number 28 like when i think of 28 it's kemp dates number there have been others have used it but it's kemp dates number um and kempton was a driver that really i mean he raced um gosh maybe 15 years but um he had a little bit of time off in in that stretch where he didn't you know, he didn't necessarily race full seasons sometimes, and sometimes it was injury, and sometimes it was just he had other drivers in the car. Um, you know, and, and uh, there were a couple of years when he didn't have a car in that stretch. But um, there is so much that I could say about Kemp to dates, and, you know, I, I kind of zero in on Kemp because when I started going to the track in 73, Kemp was racing. And um, so I kind of look at Kemp's, that's where I start. It, it's it, I kind of look at his career, and that's um, the others who have had the 28, um, none of them have, have, have had the impact with that number that Kemp has. And so rather than just sort of ramble about Kempton and bearing in mind that there is an episode of the groove where we interview Kempton. One of the first ones, in fact, I think it might've been episode 10. Um, it's, um, which you can, you can go, go, uh, go listen to that. Um, I thought that what I would do here is there is a book. Most of you know about this, obviously all in memories of a steel palace racer, Covering the career of Kempton Dates, the Red Creek Rocket by Jody Dates. Jody is Kemp's niece. Jody and Faye Dates, Kemp's wife, put together around the time that they were restoring, Kemp was restoring the championship car from 1977. They put together a, um, it started as a scrapbook. And uh, it it turned into, I Jody Jody and I spoke early in the process and this was really a blessing for me to be able to have any input at all into this. It was, it was such a joy to do it and to be able to um, contribute the forward to the book is um, what was really awesome. And um, I just, I just enjoyed every minute of that process and I've not, I don't believe I've ever read this on a show. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and read the forward that I wrote because it's really the, the easiest way to sum up Kempton Date's career. And then we can kind of fill in and talk about 
um, some of the details of it. So this is right out of the book. Um, and here's what, here's what it says. This is my writing. When I think about Kempton dates, my mind immediately starts firing off descriptive words and phrases like working man, determined, focused, and fierce competitor. One does not talk about the man who came to be known as the Red Creek Rocket without spending some time recalling the atmosphere and setting in which he not only competed but conquered winning races and championships as both a driver and a builder in what many consider to be the most challenging chapter of supermodified history. In one of several appearances on my original Inside Groove radio show, Oswego Speedway's Romy Caruso once called the period of the late 1960s into the 1970s the salad days for supermodified racing. I definitely agree. The cars were just beginning to transition from the cut down or upright style to the roadsters. And it was often a white knuckle ride trying to keep the cars handling in line for an entire race and stay away from the unforgiving steel walls that wrap around both the inside and outside of the fast 5 8 mile oval. Advances in safety were still in the future, and for longer races like the International Classic, it wasn't uncommon to see huge 55-gallon drums strapped to the back of the cars for fuel. These drivers were brave men who risked life and limb to travel at speeds averaging over 120 miles an hour chasing checkered flags. Kempton bought his first car after seeing it in an airport hangar. Just that sentence alone tells you what passed for a supermodified in those days. It was, for all intents and purposes, a run with your run class with few rules and lots of crazy design ideas. It was not uncommon to see sprint cars, uprights, roadsters, ex-indy cars, rear-engine cars, both two- and four-wheel drive, and sidewinders, cars with engines in the middle next to the cage, all on the track at the same time. I started going to the Oswego Speedway in 1973 at the age of five. It still gives me goosebumps today to recall the first times I went to the pits with my program looking for autographs from the superheroes who were going so fast in circles all night long. You could have stripped the paint off every car in the pits, and I could have told you whose car it was by the design. That's how much variety there was. I remember Kemp being a tough competitor in my earliest days, but it seemed like he found another gear in 1975, selling his older car to Canada's Scott Wilson and building a new car that propelled him to his first ever win over my hero, Jimmy Champagne, in one of the most competitive seasons in track history. I was always happy for anyone who got their first win and Kemp's confidence seemed to grow sharply after that first checkered flag. Still, the word fighter seems most fitting. He had nights where he'd break a rear end in warm-ups, run home and get a new one, and be ready for the heat and the, or the con seat. I remember a night when he made about three pit stops of the feature and still got up inside the top five. It was like nothing could stop him. He survived one of the worst fires I've ever seen in racing, came back the very next week and charged to the front of the field before spinning out. But you know, 
It was the craziest thing. In 1977, that man changed his car color from blue to red and turned into Oswego Speedway's version of the Incredible Hulk. He won nine features, won the track championship, and had the classic snatched from his grasp by a cruel racing spirit with a handful of laps left when his thirsty fuel tank turned on him. It was probably only a small consolation that although he did win that classic as a driver, he did win it as a builder. Close friend Warren Conium in a car kept built for the new all-Canadian team owned by Dave McKnight, who traded John Spencer for Conium mid-season, inherited the lead when Kemp's luck ran out and added a notch to Kemp's accomplishments, even if Kemp didn't realize it at the time. See, while he was busy dominating a season with his own car, he was competing against a half dozen or so other cars that he built over the previous winter, making for one of the coolest color photos ever. When someone thought it would be nice to line them all up next to each other with the drivers and snap a shot. Priceless. Kemp returned in 1978 with another car far too pretty to race, but far too fast not to. Unfortunately, the bad luck that had plagued him for so much of his career also returned, and trips to Victory Lane were overshadowed by several hard crashes. He retired following that season, but he never really went away. Brief appearances in Lou Bannister's 26, which was his 1977 track championship winning car, Tom Johnson's 46, same car, a few hot laps in Jim Muldoon's C-15, one classic weekend when Jimmy got injured by an exploding tire, and even a classic attempt in Mike Schoberlein's 14 car in 1982 after Mike got injured, kept the Red Creek Rocket in the front of our minds. He returned to action in 1983 with a lightweight car that was quite different, and although he never got a feature win with the car, he had a big moment in a heat race when he beat Doug Hevron to the line, much to the delight of the roaring crowd. Kemp told me he could hear the fans over the sound of his car as he crossed the line. I liked that car. Kemp didn't care for it as much as I did, I guess, because he cut it up at the end of the season. He explains why later in the book. And he built a brand new one for 1984. He split time with Joe Paino, and later Doug Didero showed flashes of his immense talent when he spent some time behind the wheel. It would be the last car Kemp built. Eventually, every driver realizes it's time to move on, and for Kempton, he had a family and other priorities. But, oh, what a joy he was to watch, even if he was a pain in the ass to us Champagne fans for a few years there. Just kidding, Kemp. Well, maybe half kidding. At some point in the spring of 1978, my parents' younger brother and I somehow ended up deciding to go see if we could find Kemp's place in Red Creek. My father was never particularly good with directions, but I remember we stopped somewhere when we got close and asked for help. We found it, and I can remember walking into the shop, looking at the car, and telling a gentleman who asked me what I thought of it, this will beat champagne easy. I felt a little out of place there because I didn't know anyone, but I was just stunned looking at this brilliant red offset roadster with the biggest injector stacks I'd ever seen in my life, and dreading the coming races because I just knew this car was going to be fast. I don't remember much else about whatever conversation we had that day, and I don't think we were there very long, but it sure did make an impression. In my mind's eye, as I look back across the years, I can still see it there in the shop today. 
It was a nice sunny spring day, and it was a shot of adrenaline for this young raceaholic. It was almost time to go racing. Kemp got a laugh over that whole story when I told him about it. When he, I think a bit reluctantly, agreed to interview for the Inside Groove show in 2019. I was told that he just didn't really think anyone would still care about him or his career after all these years. I couldn't imagine him thinking that, and it made me sad. Because to my generation, he and all those drivers he raced against were larger than life. The interview lasted about an hour, and it was such a great time. If you haven't heard it, you can find it by going to steeringwheelnation.com and just searching through the Inside Groove player and scrolling down the list of episodes. You can play it right there. Kemp's niece Jody has also transcribed it. You can read it in the book. Now here we are, over 40 years later, and by a confluence of circumstances that only God could orchestrate, the Dates family found his 1977 championship-winning chassis and were given the opportunity to bring it home to Red Creek for its master to restore. Can you even imagine? My eyes are watering as I think about the joy and the spark this has brought to Kemp, and I was humbled to be able to visit him and his family at their home in December of 2019 to see the progress. I will never forget that day. Thank you to Jody and the entire Dates family for making that possible. Another even more amazing day is dawning. In August of 2020, the Red Creek Rocket is scheduled to suit up, strap into that meticulously restored machine, and pace the field on old-timers night at the track where it had so many winning rides. As a fan who grew up in that era, I cannot thank all those who have contributed to helping Kemp make a dream he never knew he had come to life and bring back a piece of all of our childhood from so long ago. That was fun to write. I actually, sometimes as a writer, and I've been obviously writing for a number of years, sometimes as a writer, when you try to write something that means so much to you as that did, sometimes the words just don't come. You sit there and you try to, or you'll get sort of, you know, phrases or whatever, but you just can't really put them together the way that you want to. And that was the case for me with that, that forward for a while. And finally, one of the things that every once in a while I like to do when I can is um, I, I go somewhere, uh, you know, somewhere that's, that's sort of just a change of scenery where I can sort of just focus and sit and work. And, and especially if I'm writing, you know, if I'm creating. And so that's what I did. There's, there's a, um, there's a little town in Virginia that has a neat little hotel that I, I like to once in a while, I'll just go and, and, you know, I basically call it a seclusion day, um, where, you know, I want to go and, and, and just set up the laptop and, and there's nothing on TV or whatever that it's just quiet and I can, and really it's just the change of scenery that, um, that makes a difference. And so, it happened that I was, uh, I was due to have a meeting with, with somebody, uh, in Virginia anyway. And so I just made that sort of part of the, the trip. And, um, and when I sat down with the laptop in that room, I created that in about an hour 
it just sort of came out. I mean, I think I probably made some tweaks to it, but you know, that was pretty much it. And, um, it, it, it was, that was fun. It was nice that that's, yeah, as a writer, that's fun when that happens. But um, that meant a lot to me to be able to do that. And, you know, Kempton, when you look at his career, he didn't win the fir- his first race till 1975, but then he had, you know, that little stretch from 75 through 78 where he, he won a bunch and he won a championship and he should have won a classic. He won another championship because Dave McKnight, that six car that won that classic in 77, also won the championship in 78. That was a dates car. So he's got two of those as a car builder. And he built several cars. Um, You know, he just really made his mark in a very short period of time. But if you go back to um, 1972, I think it was that year that Kemp had a back injury of, of some sort of maybe at work got hurt at work, maybe. And he put Warren Conium in the car for a number of races. And then eventually Warren moved over to the Oh four. I think probably when Kemp was ready to come back. And then the following year in 1973, he put Jim Cheney in the car for the classic that year. I don't know if Jim ran any other races, um, I don't remember seeing Jim run the car, but of course that was my first year and I was five. So I don't, you know, um, I think it may have just been the classic. Jimmy got seventh with it. Nice job. Really nice job with it. I didn't go to that classic. Um, and then, uh, again, Kemp had, uh, Gary Albritton drove for him one night. I think that would have been 76 because I think it was right around the time of the fire. Um, then he, once he retired at the end of 78, I think it wasn't until, if if I remember right, I don't think he didn't, I know he drove Lou Bannister's car one night in 1979, and it was because Lou couldn't make it to the track. Lou was a farmer, and I think Lou grew cucumbers. If I, I remember, I think I remember that cucumbers were part of Lou's, uh, you know, crops or whatever. And if that's true, then um, I probably kept him in business because I, <laughs> I eat cucumbers by the ton. Love cucumbers, so. I always, I did back then and, and, you know, still do. So then let's see, he drove it. And, and the reason he drove it, Lou couldn't make it to the track. And it was interesting because that same night, Warren Conium jumped in the Braglick to 84. Some of you may remember that Warren took that car from the back of the field. The third Kemp didn't have quite as good of run and lose car, but um, and Lou's car, of course, was his championship car. And then um, Tom Johnson bought it from Lou and Lou bought a different car. And um, then Kemp got in it, I think, in Tom's rookie year, which would have been maybe 1980 or 81. He got in it for the classic and ran it. And then he... Or maybe it was, um, I guess he, let me think. Cause, um, it, I think that was 81 
because I think it was 1980, Jim Muldoon had um, helped Herm Graf finish a brand new C-15, and Jim was driving it. And classic week, a tire exploded in the garage, in Jim's garage, and it and it I guess it blew Jim kind of across the room. It 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 and it hurt him, and he and he was so he asked Kempton Dates to drive it for the classic. And I guess Kemp took some laps in it. And I don't know if Kemp wasn't comfortable or whatever, but I'm pretty sure Dave Morton ended up behind the wheel for the weekend. Um, so then there was the 46 that Kemp drove for Tom Johnson. Then, um, in 1982, he, he took out, he, but Kemp, ended up in the car. And so then in 1983, he built that new car. It was, I don't think he ever painted it. It was primer color with a white, with white numbers, I think. Um, or maybe it was a gray paint. I'm not sure, but it was, it was, you know, it didn't have the usual dates colors. And it was interesting because it was, it was kind of wide, I thought. Um, and, and it seemed like the wheelbase was short though. Kemp told me it actually wasn't. Um, and he wanted something different. He wanted to try something different. And it was pretty fast. He had a lot of fuel issues with it because he had a real small tank. So he had trouble. Um, I think he had trouble with running out of fuel. And so, but at the end of that year, he decided to cut the car up because he he said that um, he was afraid somebody else would get hurt with it. It was a lighter weight and or whatever, and and it was so he built um, he built another car that he started nineteen eighty four with with I think Joe Paino actually started the year, and then um, they parted ways. And I'm gonna guess here that Joe went back to Steve Miller for a while because he had a couple three stints in the sixteen car, but um, Kemp I think Kemp got in it, and then Doug Didero at some point started driving and that was where Doug really sort of took his step. He had started in Ralph McLaughlin's cars and certainly made a big impression, but he, where he really uh, kind of got his bearings about him was in the dates car. And then uh, Kemp sold the car to Tim DeWine. And I don't know. I know that Joe Hawksby senior had it or drove it a bit at one point it was a two-car team joe had that car numbered 22 and then he had the um the deuce which wayne DeGroff was driving wayne was one of his crew members and then joe ended up in the two so i don't know kind of what all happened there and i don't know what tim dewine did with the car or who did with the car afterward i i don't know where it went um, and so it would be interesting to know if that's even still around. And, and I, uh, there's also, according to what I was told and I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm going to, um, because the, the person who told me didn't give me permission to air it. I'm not going to, um, air names, but someone in Canada supposedly has Scott Wilson's 75 dates car. That's the one that Kemp ran 
um, you know, 72, I think maybe 73, 74, um, built a new one for 75 that ended up going to Doug Sawyer, I believe, for 76, which is the one that Warren Conium drove. And the 52 and uh but the 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 black and white 27 which was the 72 73 74 dates car supposedly still exists in canada now hey i'm just a radio or a show host so Here's the thing. I think somehow that car, if it does still exist, that car needs to come back to Captain Dates and we need another restore dog on it because then maybe we can get a sequel to the book too. Um, <laughs> Kemp probably needs a project, right? So uh, maybe we can restore that one. And if the DeWine car is around, let's restore that one too. Larry can't do it. Larry Trinka can't do it. He's already got a date's chassis is going to be restored. He's already, he's, his, his schedule's full. But um, it's crazy to think that that Scott Wilson car is still out there. Now, Scott had a, a, a brand new date's chassis in 1976 that, again, was left primer color, I believe. Um. And Scott ran it, and then I think Kemp drove it at the last race of the season that year. I think he finished like third, too. He had a good ride with it. And then it it was sold to Russ Gray, and Russ started running it in 77 and then um, lost his life in it in 78. Highly doubt that one's still around, but um, the... So Kempton had a really interesting, and he had, I mean, when you think about it, you're putting Warren Conium, you know, Warren wasn't in his prime yet. You know, he was up and coming, I would say. He he certainly had won races and was, you know, was a good racer already. But, um, you know, and he put Jimmy Cheney when Jimmy, he came out of the 19, the Holinsky car. I think they had a wreck and um, it just didn't finish the season, I believe, that year. And so Jimmy got in Kemp's car for the classic. And um, then you have, you know, Joe Paino, who was a really good racer and very underappreciated, I think, for his talent. And Doug Didero. You know, I would argue that Kemp helped launch Doug to the next level. And we all know what Doug accomplished after he you know, drove for Kemp, what he went on to do and just, you know, retired here at the end of what, uh, 21. So, um, it's, uh, Kemp, Kemp had a great career. Now beyond Kempton, Um, this is where it gets, cause again, you know, you got some sort of one-off sort of things. Um, I want to say, let's see. So this would be mid eighties when Kemp stopped running the 28. So I want to say that there was a 28 show car or some sort of car that was numbered 28 that I think Steve McKnight drove for a little bit. And then also, um, I think Jerry O'Neill 
may have driven that same car for a little bit. If my memory serves me right. And then, of course, Jerry and Al Aronic got hooked up. Ran his 26. Um, so I know there's those two. And I think it was the same car. It may have been a different one. Then Eric Lewis is the next one that comes to mind. Now, Eric would, that would be into the early 90s because, and here, here's a funny story about Eric Lewis. Some of you may remember this. If you were a listener of my Inside Groove radio show that I started back in the early 90s up on up at Star 105 in Oswego when they were still local programming, um, I actually had Eric guest host the show one night. Now, I have to explain that this wasn't because I was on vacation. It wasn't because I was sick. I purposefully wanted to see what would happen if I took a driver and made him a guest host. And I don't remember, to be honest, if, if, if I... I guess I asked Eric, I don't remember why if I picked him or maybe he and I were talking about it and he said he would like to do it, Um, you know, talking about the concept of it. But Eric ended up guest hosting my radio show with Dave Tritech. That is no joke. Um, And he actually mispronounced his own name. He called himself Eric Lupus. (laughs) Coming out of a break. (laughs) You get nervous. Like it's it people find are amazed to find out it's one thing to be a guest where you're just talking about yourself, your career or issues or whatever, and you're just answering questions, having conversation. It's another thing when you have to think about transitions coming in and out of commercials and doing all those things. You you just you know, and having to create sort of the format for that show. It's 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 not hard. But it's just hard to do, you know, out of like the first time. It's hard without ever having done it before. If you're not trained in journalism or radio and how it works, it's hard to do that. <laughs> it was fun. I, I sat home and listened to it as it was live um, and just laughed like crazy. Uh, that was that was fun. Somewhere um, that still exists somewhere. I've got. I've got a box of cassettes somewhere, uh, a, a case with cassettes. My parents used to record all the shows. So that exists somewhere. Um, maybe someday I'll find them. Most of those shows will never see the light of day um, <laughs> because, um, you know, I, I just, I look back and, and a lot of them were great shows and, and I guess we could re-air them, but there are certain shows that I just look back and wish I could go back and do again. You know, um, it's, you know, you just realize sometimes that you get a little too caught up in trying to, uh, you know, be a change agent. And, and, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of sort of tact back then. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, that's, that, that was funny. So Eric, um, Eric Plaskanka is his name. Eric Lewis, as most people know him, um, he um, still races occasionally. He still has, I think it's now a Grasso car, 
But that car, I can't remember what that car was that he started with. I think it might have been a show car. It could have been the old Salve 04. I can't remember. Um, but he, you know, like I said, he ran it for a number of years, drove for uh, Craig Danzer a little bit in the in the uh, the 52. And, and then he, uh, I don't know if he moved to New England. I think he did at some point, moved to, to New England somewhere. And he's, he's still, like I said, he, he started racing out there like star or whatever. He still competes once in a while. And um, just a great guy. And I always thought he was a really talented racer too. Um, so, that, you know, that was, um, that was the, like I said, I think early nineties, that would have been. And I'm trying to think where we go from there. Cause I know there's been more 28s. Um, at least I think there has. And I'm struggling because none are coming to mind. I want to say there was a 28 out of new England that raced in a Swigo a few times. And I, I just can't place the car or who would have driven it. But um, I do want to say that at some, at some point there was a 20, it wasn't Eric um, that raced. I'm talking like later nineties. I don't think once Eric went away, I don't think he ever raced at a Swiggo again, maybe for some Isma shows, but um yeah, I mean it's it's like I said that this the 28 is a number that has not been overused by any stretch and Kemp was Kemp is I would argue the most famous if you will or the 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 most prevalent prominent um you know obviously and so I, you know, we, we just need to keep it kept in, in that whole era of the seventies drivers. We've got to keep their memories alive because we can't lose that history. And, and, and if you're new to this show, that's why I started it. Interviewing folks like Kempton and Warren Conium, um, you know, and Doug Didero and I know Joe Gozik's still racing, but, you know, but, you know, all those guys that we've talked to Bentley, um, all the legends we've spoken with Brian Herb. I mean, we've, we've done bunches. Doug have We're going to have Doug back again. I saw Doug at the classic. Um, he and Bentley saw each other for the first time. And I, I you know, however long it was. And, you know, you just, <laughs> if, if you were around when those two drivers were racing together, and I mean, you know, as teammates, um, there was a banquet I recall at the one, I think the wine Creek Inn, where there was a point where, uh, I don't remember. I think it was Doug pushing Bentley or Bentley pushing Doug. One of them was sitting in one of the chairs, you know, that you have at the tables and wheels on it. And I don't know if there was chair races or whatever, but they were, they had had a, a few, um, beverages, and we're just entertaining everybody. It was, um, you know, when when you get those two together, it's kind of like um, Bentley's going to be like 83. And, you know, Doug is 
uh, I'm not actually I'm not totally sure how old Doug is, but he's certainly not. Um, he's got to be late 50s, early 60s anyway. Um, and um, um, let's see. So he, he would have been 17 and 78. So 40 years later, 57 would be 18. So, yeah, he's early 60s. The two of them together, it's like two senior citizens who still think they're 25. And, <laughs> you know, they're just great together. They they really, there was a genuine bond that, that happened there. Um, and, you know, that was a period, of course, you can talk about 83. We really didn't, um, you know, we, we, I haven't, I ordinarily it would have been nice to kind of profile 73 classic 83, 93 all the way up. Um, just haven't gotten to do that, but, um, obviously 83 was, was, uh, arguably the most exciting dramatic finish in classic history. Um, last lap pass, you know, Bellinger passing the, the, the Haveron cars, um, when Doug ran out of fuel, and getting that win, Conium went by him as well, finished second. I think Doug, let's see, Bentley was third, Doug was fourth, I think. But that was, um, you know, that period of time, whether you liked Doug or not, you had to acknowledge and appreciate the relationship that developed between him and Bentley. <laughs> and uh, that's never changed. <laughs> that that relationship has never changed. And so I saw Doug over Classic Weekend, and Doug is going to do another show. We're going to have a second Doug Haveron episode soon. So that'll be coming up. We got a lot of drivers coming up. Um, I don't have my list in front of me, but um, there's we got half a dozen or so. And, and here's another uh, drive. I, I actually, there was a, this isn't a super modified racer, but a lot of you probably will still be interested in hearing this when we do it. Jerry Cook. I'm going to do an interview with Jerry Cook soon. Jerry, I saw Jerry, um, NASCAR Hall of Famer, what, nine-time champion, um, obviously one of the greatest modified drivers ever. Um, from that 70s era that was so magical. Uh, saw Jerry at the uh, Moonshiners and Racers reunion that they have every year in Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is the town that was Mayberry for the Andy Griffith show. Um, if you've never been to Mount Airy, you need to go. This It's a great trip. It's a neat little town. There's still a lot of Mayberry there. So you kind of get to walk back in time. It's kind of a time machine town. And, but this reunion is crazy. I mean, they had probably 50, um, somewhere 30, 30 plus anyway, um, of, of some of the real original NASCAR racers that, that, uh, they do this every year. Yeah, I think it's, I don't even know what fourth, fifth. Uh, but they do it every year and, and they have a wall of fame there for those guys and they sign autographs from like 10 to five or so. It's a long day, but they love it. Those guys love it. So I saw Jerry Cook there and uh, Jerry and I had talked a couple times about doing a show. And we just never got to it. So it will probably, we'll probably do it for the stock car classic show. Cause that's kind of where, you know, where he fits in. It's the history show, but um you know, if, if, if any of you are interested in hearing that when we do it, 
let me know. And I may put a teaser clip on one of these shows and just, you know, we'll direct you over. But um, it's it's going to be awesome to be able to talk to him because when he got nominated for the Hall of Fame, they have a press conference at Charlotte Motor Speedway for all of those, all of the nominees every year during um, 600 weekend, Memorial Day weekend. And I don't remember who all the other drivers were that he was or all the folks he was nominated with, but I know Terry Labonte was one of them. And there were a couple of others. Every one of the NASCAR media, they wanted to talk to Terry and all the other people. Nobody asked Jerry Cook a question. Nobody cared about one of the, the legends of NASCAR's oldest division. So finally, I stuck my hand up. Because I had a question for Jerry. And it ended up being the final question of the press conference. On You know, I didn't know it, it was going to be at the time. But I, you know, when, when they, when the moderator came to me, the mic got to me and I, you know, um, I think I, uh, that would have been, I was still, had the Race Chaser brand. So it was, you know, Tom Baker from Race Chaser Online. I said, I have a question for Jerry. And you, Jerry's like his whole face lit up. You know, I think he just sort of felt like, gosh, I'm sitting here and nobody cares. But Jerry's whole face lit up. And then I, the question I asked him made it light up even more. I said, Jerry, I said, I grew up in Oswego, New York in the 70s. And going to the track and watching you and Richie and, and all of the, the greatest of the modified division run when it was so good, I said, I have always heard stories about you and Richie, who are both from Rome, New York, actually sending your real race car in one direction and a decoy race car, like a backup car, in another direction to try to throw each other off as to where you were really racing so you didn't have to compete against each other because you had almost every race was for regional points then. And Jerry, Jerry laughed. He said, it's all true. <laughs> and he, you know, he talked about that. And, and, and when I saw him the other day, I reminded him who I was. And I had met him a couple of times since. So he did know he remembered me. And he looked at me. He goes, there are, he, as if I was going to bring it up again. He goes, telling you, it's all true. Um and so he's, uh, he and I have been trying, we've missed each other a couple times this week to, to, to get the interview scheduled, but that's coming up soon. So if, if I, I, I'm kind of curious if you would care for, for that to be, you know, we might just make it part of a groove show too, just because again, you know, so many of you were around back then. Um, and he, you know, he raced in a swiggo so many times. It, it, I think the last few times or several times he was racing for Ed close in the 69 car. So, um, you know, that, that was a cool deal that I got to, and I'm looking forward to that interview. It'll be a fun, fun interview to, to sort of wallow in those, those memories, uh, for a while, you know, it's, it's fun to go back and look. So, um, let me know what you think, but I, I thought I would throw that in. It's, um, uh, I, I'm sure I probably missed a few 28s here. I kind of got off track with the Jerry Cook thing, but um, I'll let you guys fill them in. And uh, I really just wanted to talk about Kempton because I enjoy that. And um, 
you know, hope that Kemp and Faye and everybody are doing well, Jody. Um, that was, uh, that was fun in that period of time when they were doing the restore and the book and everything was good, good time. So, um, with that, we're going to close this long show out. I was, I'm over time on this last segment than I wanted to be anyway, but thank you all. And I hope you've enjoyed it. It's, uh, we've got much, much more. Jeff battle is going to be on next show. We'll have Camden back. Hopefully, um, to talk about Evans Mills, we'll see who wins those. And if we can get them, we'll bring them um, and look forward to some more race talk next week on the inside groove. Um, look, uh, thanks to our sponsors, uh, JNS paving, Rich Worth, also to Jeff West and any performance composites. And of course, Sean Cathcart and lacrosse pub slash skips fish fry. Look forward to next week. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks for sharing. Those of you who do, please keep doing that. Um, Until next time, have a safe racing weekend. God bless and so long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.